is the podcast to the show you can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, hello and welcome back, everyone. We are the TedCast. We're doing Ted Lasso Season 3, Episode 6, Part 3, Sunflowers. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a labor of love, and it takes a long time to get these things done. It reminded me of the famous uh, Frost poem where he says, The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. We have miles and miles to go in this episode, even though we have two parts uh, in the can, there are uh, there's still a lot to talk about. Um, I am your host, Coach Castleton. Uh, with me, as always, is Coach Bishop. Gazellig. He's Gazellig. And we are thrilled to have uh, our MVP back, uh, Emily Chambers. You leave for one podcast. I cannot believe the mess you guys left in here. It's disgusting. <laughs> disgusting and horrible. You're not lying. Um, uh, also, I need to mention that despite it being the end of April, it is somehow already summer in Chicago, given the construction noise outside my window, but 44 degrees outside my window. So, uh, when, yeah. The worst yeah. of everything. Exactly. It's sunny. There are leaves. But if you nice. hear any sort of uh, rattling noises, that's probably just my city that I love trying to kill me. They're not the only ones. Um, so, um, <laughs> But no one has been successful <laughs> yet. Come at me. Um, okay, so again, and I will never stop making this point. She's got a blood guy. So go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Go, go for that's it, Coach. Um, I want to, uh, first of all, thank everybody for listening. If you're if you're visiting us for the first time, you punched in Ted Lasso into your podcast search function, and we came up. Uh, this is part three of the episode on Sunflowers. If you want to hear the, the first couple parts, you can go back and do that. Uh, we've been recording for several years, trying to uh, walk through the beauty of what we think is a masterpiece of a show. And uh, we hope that uh, you'll enjoy that part of it with us. To our uh, the people that are already listening, we cannot even begin to stress how excited we are to have you guys here. You feel like family. Um, the I mentioned about some of the reviews the other day. And as soon as I mentioned that, we got like tripled our subscriptions, which means a lot. I think on this, for we're just learning how this whole thing works. So uh, I think it means a lot. Um, and also... We had a, we have a new um, we were pretty big in certain cities uh, in America, but we have a new um, a city, one of the, one of the American cities has surged past New York City, which was the old champion coaches uh, where coach was originally from um, the New York City area. And coach, can you see here in the show doc what our new number one city of full of listeners is? Seattle. Seattle. That is very, very interesting and very cool, actually. I want to visit Seattle, so that's one more excuse. Oh, man. I feel like we've got a real grunge vibe, right? That's what they're most well known for. Seafood and grunge is basically our podcast. Listen, yeah. yeah. There's no there's no question that uh, I can catch a flying fish. 
I mean, like if you sure, just think sure. through, that's a that's a gimme for me. Well, for our Seattle listeners, thank you so much. You are the top city in America right now. I have spent a lot of time on Bainbridge Island, just outside your beautiful city. Um, uh, I used to go there to visit a very troubled girlfriend <laughs> who was the best. She's the best. I say troubled only because she had a little bit of boss. Like she's just kind of kind of a uh, man, free thinker. Woo. Badass. Yeah, she was a badass. She was. Oh, 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 oh. She was a badass. She was great. Uh, but I used to go visit her. And uh, man, I love Seattle and go Kraken. So um, uh, I also want to mention before we start a little piece of, of – uh, news, and I don't think so. This might not resonate with either one of you. I don't know if it will. Um, do you, do you, either one of you know the name Leah Williamson? I it sounds familiar, but I can't place it right now. Coach, nothing. No. Okay. I, I'm feeling like as soon as you say it, I'm going to feel like, oh, of course, but no, I'm not. Uh, Leah Williamson is. I'm a huge uh, fan of. Uh, I, as as people know who listen to the podcast, I tend to follow soccer uh, worldwide. I am a gigantic uh, women's soccer fan. And Leah Williamson is one of my favorite players in the whole world. She is the captain of the Lionesses, the Brit- the English uh, so- women's soccer team. And over this past, like a few days ago, I meant to mention it uh, during episode two and it slipped my mind, but she tore her ACL. And it is so heartbreaking. Uh, she was playing in a game for Arsenal, her club team, Tori ACL, and that means she's out of the upcoming World Cup. She's going to be out of the World Cup, which is so heartbreaking because, you know, I'm, you know, we're all American. I'm guessing we're all going to be rooting for the United States in the World Cup, but you do want to see your team play the best, beat the best. And to my mind and to my eye, the British team who just won the Euros. I mean, oh, my God. They look like the best team in the world to me. And Leah Williamson is 26-year-old phenom, uh, and and uh, she epitomizes everything I like about athletes. She's a captain. She's got that quiet poise. She's also just charming and kind. Every interview you see of her is wonderful. She's beloved by her teammates. Um, and so my heart broke when I saw – that ACL tear. There's been so many ACL tears in women's soccer. Some of the best players in the world, the, the best uh, women's player in the world, Alexia Puteas, last year, she's tore her ACL. She's just coming back in time for the World Cup, thank God, for Spain. Um, if she plays for Spain, there's a lot of drama there. But um, there's also Beth Mead for England is injured, and, and um, uh, there's a lot of players on the women's in the women's game. There's a lot of weird ACL, Viv Miedema. Uh, is injured. There's all, all these, it's just like superstars getting hurt. And um, like I said, my heart goes out to all of them because they're tremendous people and role models for, for men and women uh, worldwide. Uh, and watching the rise of women's soccer has been a pure joy. I'm, one of the things I'm so happy about living in this moment is to watch how women's soccer it has gone from something that was, I don't know, a sideline gig to something that's very front and center. For for those who don't know, I always reference um, the women's Euros, which is just the, uh, the um, it's a competition between the national teams in Europe to find out which European team is the best. The Euros had their, had their, um, f- uh, their finals at Wembley Stadium in London this year. 
And when they announced the Euros, they said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have the Euros and we're gonna we're gonna have the finals in Wembley." They started selling tickets six months in advance. That's before anybody knew who was even in the finals. So sight unseen, nobody knows in the finals. Ninety six thousand capacity at Wembley sells out in twenty four hours. So like, lest you think the women's game hasn't arrived, uh, it really has, and. I love the men's game. Don't get me wrong. I really love it. Uh, I have a, I have always had trouble with flopping and that sort of thing. Uh, and I, I say how uh, what a what a grind it is to to watch that sometimes. But the personalities in the women's game are so amazing, and you can get behind them so much because they haven't reached that level of of athlete where they're not still grinding. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean. Uh, Alex Morgan, the biggest name in American soccer, went and played for Tottenham. Uh, last well, during the pandemic, so a couple of years ago now, and she had to go to the this is Tottenham Hotspurs. This she was playing for the lady Lady Spurs, the women's the women's team, and she had to go to the management and say like, "Yo, I notice our we're not allowed to play on the men's practice fields. Like, what's up with that? Have you have you seen out of curiosity my nine million <laughs> Instagram followers who are about to hear about this? You know what I mean?" And pe- people who don't follow the sport, they don't know this is going on. They don't realize all this is happening. Like these women, Alex Morgan, just she's like, I will wield this hatchet and I will put you front and center and I have the power to do it. And guess what? Guess what happened with the women's game? All of a sudden, uh, they're playing on the men's fields. And and why would they not to begin with? You're like, how is this? It's so crazy. Um, but anyway, I wanted to say uh, a word uh, of thanks to all the people who listen to us, a word of uh, sorrow in, in the injury to the wonderful and amazing Leah Williamson. And um, thank everyone who stopped in to rate us to say the kind, oh my God, some of the things people wrote, I, it just almost brings us to tears because we didn't expect that. We didn't expect to be, to find the, the community that we have. So we thank you so much. Coach, I just want to, to, to hop in. This is, a bit on your piece or, or, that you said around following women's soccer. And I know we've talked a ton about women's sports and, and can will uh, going forward. But I saw uh, an Instagram video today. It's just one of those things that grabs you like beyond. Like you see the silly, funny thing, but you also think about the implications of it. So this mom essentially is doing, I guess people are now doing leg wrestling everywhere. Like these things take off. And this mom like rips through her family and they're like teenage boys. Like you can tell, like they're like, yeah, right. Like mom's going to, and she's flipping their asses over on the ground. It's like, wow. And it, it really made me think about it, it, it. Okay. It made me think about the fact that the sports we play because men, you know, because of the patriarchy men designed a lot of these games. And so they celebrate. Brand, certain brands of strength and and ability and and sports don't have to be that way we we act as if that's where they have to be but i guarantee you right now all this talk of like women can't survive in sports or what if you made women compete against men she was flipping their asses over and my guess is <laughs> you know what i mean like she whatever mechanic whatever the mechanics are of hip to this to that she had the build for this motherfucking game and they was getting their asses whooped. And I just think 
there's something for us to think about. There's so much about who gets and who doesn't get and being aware of the world. And is there a little girl out there hoping to become, you know, manager of a, of, of a league? How often the way we look at these games and even design these games, literal games and societal games, speaks to who succeeds in it and how we might look at the design, the design of how we do things in a new way, too. That's going to ma- I I bring it up specifically because that's going to matter later in this episode at a see in a scene where at, at best, I think what we should do is call a pause have me go off and record my own podcast episode about uh, Ted's sojourn, and then we can resume. Because I promise you, I have a three-hour lecture on Ted sitting down in a certain restaurant. Oh, yeah. I I, I did notice that. Uh, I believe that there might be a, a clip that you mentioned earlier in this podcast about Jordan. So I, when it came up, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yeah, but yeah. I thought, oh, uh, there's there's coaches shut. <laughs> yeah, coach, I love I love the point you make, and um, I one of the reasons I love the women's games. They're so tough. They're so tough. I was, right now, for those of you who don't know, right now the women's UEF uh, UEFA Champions League is happening right now, and I've mentioned what the Champions League is before. Best players from. All, all over the teams uh, from all the different leagues playing each other to see who the best team in Europe is. Uh, and you have this. I was watching Chelsea and Barcelona. Barcelona is like the big dog on the planet. And um, they play Chelsea, which is a team I root for. Um, and then um, uh, this week, we uh, we just saw uh, yesterday, my, my daughter and I get up really early to watch these games because they they show here at like you know 7.30 in the morning. We watched Arsenal which is my daughter's team versus Wolfsburg, which is one of the great German teams. And you watch, you know, it's like so funny. Men always say, oh, you know, men are so tough or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, how many men are wearing skirts in the winter with like shoes that no no socks on? You know what I mean? I'm like, there's all the, you know, walking through puddles. and I'm like, dude, trust me, you're not. I watched these two, you know how I say I love social control. And one of the reasons I love hockey is, there's all this, the gray area in hockey is policed by the players. Uh, and we've talked about this in season one. We haven't really come back to it, but like if you, if someone knocks you out uh, or punches you, there's, you had it coming. It, it's not random in hockey. Like people who don't watch the sport don't know. And I know I'm not advocating violence, but I'm saying it's the, 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 the example I left uh, uh, in season one. And the one I always say is like, it's like when you're all waiting in line to get off an exit ramp and one dick in a BMW cuts off and goes right to the front and cuts, finds some person and cuts them off and gets in. In hockey, someone gets out of their car and punches that person. And that's that's the thing I like. So when I was watching um, the women's uh, soccer this weekend, it was Arsenal versus Wolfsburg. And um, this fe- uh, Wolfsburg has this young German phenom. She's the six. She's the center midfielder for the German squad. And she is amazing. Her name's Lena Oberdorf. And she's just muscle. She's so good and so strong. But she kind of took out one of the uh, players on the Arsenal squad. And out of nowhere comes Irish phenom Katie McCabe <laughs> and just kind of jacks her. Like you never see it. This is a red card in in soccer. You just don't see this in soccer. But Katie McCabe ran up and just kind of bumped Lena Oberdorf. And like, if I could explain how much I love Lena Oberdorf and Katie McCabe, like we have 
we just talk about them in our house because we're like, they are so amazing. They're so strong. They're the kind of players they kick the ball and you, your teeth rattle. They're so powerful. And to see these two Titans sort of bounce into each other. And then a second later, uh, Lena gets up and Katie says sorry and shakes her hand and they pat each other on the ass and they get back to playing. And you're like, this is bullshit. I don't want to hear this shit like women aren't tough enough. You know what I mean? I just don't want to hear it. Um, So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the Champions League is an amazing watch and and I urge everybody to, you know, support teams that aren't necessarily just in your local region um, because there's amazing soccer happening out there. So we start today. Boss, we're going to pick it up. We uh, Coach and I made it to uh, – basically, it was the Gazellig gentleman who has no name, Mystery Man, and he's just about to take out a bin from the closet. So he pulls it out. He drops it loudly on the floor, to which Rebecca sort of reacts to the loudness of it. I was like, that's such a man move to not put it gently on like <laughs> – just like, bam! Like, ah! Oh. You know, especially if she's on guard in a stranger's house with one exit, like any loud noise might be a little whatever. Um, and we established, boss, in, in our last podcast where you were in our nation. Oh, how was our nation's capital, by the way? Beautiful. That's super great. Um, unfortunately, the tail end of the cherry blossoms, but still, I think it was, it never got below 70. So nice. my friend and I just got to uh, sit on the little balcony of our hotel room and hang out, among other things. But at night when we had closed down all of the bars and restaurants in D.C. I mean, not really, but we did visit a few. So it was wonderful. Yes. Thank you for asking. And you said Marjorie Taylor Greene is a joy personally in private. Right? Oh, man. I um. Well, I'm not arrested right now, so I didn't see <laughs> any of our elected officials, um, which is good. So uh, one thing we decided to accept, we said, uh, boss, we're, coach and I were like, all right, we're going to just accept that Rebecca has made this a choice because we're like, okay, why would she even go in this guy's house? But why, you know, there's a lot of people who just don't buy this, the whole thing that, you know, she falls in the water. She can get out and go right to back to her hotel. And, but we're just, we're just assuming we're operating under the assumption. She has made a decision and the writing staff has decided that she's made a decision. And so we're just going to go with it. So um, the gazelle man, he says, free, feel free to change into one of these. And what does Rebecca say, boss? Should I be concerned that you've got a giant Tupperware box of women's clothes in your floating house? Right. I love that she said Tupperware, and I'm not sure if that was intentional, but she had just given him a hard time about peephole. And I was like, Tupperware is some... <laughs> like, even if something is Tupperware brand, to call something Tupperware, like, as a noun, like, that's a... that's. <laughs> That's pretty old school, baby. I remember the Tupperware parties when I was, you know, a child. Child. Yeah. Is is Tupperware not a thing anymore? I, I think mean, I, it guess it, maybe. I think it exists, but like I don't think it's like a thing. You know what I mean? Like there okay. was a time in your life where like having Tupperware in the kitchen was like a thing. I bought this Tupperware. Like I think now it's just a brand of plastic stuff you buy to put your leftovers in. I think. I mean, I could be wrong. I know I've told stories before uh, about my mother. I would like to mention that her Tupperware was uh, usually some sort of jewel bag wrapped around a plate that you just stick out of the top shelf of the fridge. It works as well. A ju- Did you say jewel bag? 
Yeah, like oh, the, uh, the store. It's a supermarket. The store. Yeah, I've, I've spent some time in the uh, in the in the old Windy City, so I got I caught. That. Oh, jewel bag. Yeah, so it's so like a shopping yeah. uh, bag from a from a yeah, uh, like, like a crappy yeah, like a grocery, grocery store bag. bag. And your mom and your Kathy does what with it? She wraps a plate in a grocery store bag. Well, this was when we were kids, but like you put the leftovers into a pot or onto a plate or in a bowl or whatever, and then you just wrap it up with the bag and you stick it in the fridge, and that's that's the same. That's the same as having a lid and stuff. Yeah. Um, Obviously. <laughs> I was a foil I was a lot I was a foil over the plate guy on a lot of things. So that's but I, I the the this the shopping bag over the plate, it strikes me as like we are going pure function here. Like there's yes. no pretense of form. Pure function. I I, I told you guys that I have a crazy mom. Um she uh she still does that, but she will do it with okay, just downgrade the bag from the shop the industrial strength shopping bag that you get on checkout to the the produce section bag. Do you know what those are? Like the little really super thin green translucent oh, ones. Wow. And she will like bring wow. up she'll say, like, oh, I'm gonna make you some pasticcio or something, like some Greek uh food which is great. And, and we won't turn our nose up at that because I love Greek food, but then she'll have the whole thing pulled into <laughs> one of those. But like now that's really? 2023. Oh yeah. 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 She doesn't. Uh, I, wow. I am. Yeah. I'm now ashamed to admit that I will rewrap veggies in those produce bags and stick them back into the drawers in the bottom of my fridge. Like definitely there's half an onion wrapped in a produce bag in my fridge right now. No question. This is good. We're protecting the environment. That's fine. You and my mom. I love it. So um, uh, she says what there, boss, about trophies, about the clothing? Well, she specifically says these aren't trophies, are they? Which is good because it's creepy. Um, Jeff Winger from Community is the only person who has said out loud that he had trophies. And I didn't think, oh, you're a total scumbag. Because I already knew he was a scumbag and I was into it. But yes, it's that type of guy who would... I think uh, on Community, he actually says something about, somebody says, why don't you just buy women's underpants? And he says, because they need to be one. So it's that sort of vibe. Like, yeah, no, it's, it is creepy. It is creepy. It's a great show, but that part was creepy. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. What kind of psychology? Okay. I mean, whatever. I don't, I, it's weird. I've never had, the, I've <laughs> never had, I mean, I've had some conquests. Let me tell you what. <laughs> situations that warrant trophies but no i actually don't i just can't even imagine coach any you ever you trof, trophy person no nah, it's pretty pretty nah. uh nah, i think i, mean, I hold, listen, I hold dude, memories like trophies like i remember certain moments i had with people i'm like oh my god or those great moments you have and that i guess is as much of a trophy as i'll keep it's like the the thought of it is exciting but yeah, um, i don't yeah. i don't think i ever kept Nah, it's weird. not my not my hype. So he says, no, it's my former partner. She was tall like you. Uh, Rebecca says, oh, I'm sorry. Did she pass away? And the man says, unfortunately. And then he says, no, unfortunately, no. He's very funny, even in that, his second language. Th- that that joke. I thought that joke was really effective because he got me leaning in. And, you know, and for such a simple joke. And I also thought it was a great um, moment of connection for the two of them like he said a mouthful right there's an ex i can't stand her right i have a sense of humor about it but i seriously can't stand her 
Uh, yeah, I just thought there was a lot packed in there and a simple little joke. Uh, he says, please help yourself. Um, and we we spoke about how this is a very hard casting choice. And um, Matteo van der Glien is a beautiful man. We did not speak. We, I wanted to wait for Boss to get back to talk about, like, you know, they didn't choose somebody with, like, a full head of lustrous hair. You know, they didn't choose, like, a Harry, Harry Styles look. Oh, God, I didn't even mean to say that. I say Harry Styles is a huge. I know, I know. Boss. Oh, mm. God, I shouldn't even say that. Um, yeah, that was a total... <laughs> I was just thinking, oh, somebody that everybody knows that's like a, you know, right, whatever. Right, right, right. And, um, but that has, uh, anyway, we're not even going to get into that. Um, the point is they, they took a guy with a, like shaved head and a uh, little gray in his beard. And, um, I found the, uh, I found the choice charming. Now, boss, you wanted to weigh in on this. We ran out of time last time. Um, you, you, I know that this isn't your favorite subplot in general, but did you do you have a, any per, sort of beef with the casting of Matteo van der Glee? Definitely not the casting. I do believe that he has an earring, which is not specifically my style, but that's fine. I can, you know, you do you, everybody. Um, also, what I most importantly, most importantly, even though the this Rebecca subplot is not my favorite of this episode. I do understand why Rebecca would be drawn to him, which means that the casting is effective, even if I'm not hoping to be invited to their wedding. Good. Fair enough. Um, okay. So she says, look, I don't, I don't really think I'm borrow your ex. She's like kind of saying, Oh no, this isn't appropriate. And then she finds something where she really likes. <laughs> I wish I thought it was cute. She's like, Oh my God, this is lovely. And he says, please change. We'll eat. And then you'll go, all right? Um, his, uh, I found myself, what I admired about this scene or what I what I enjoyed in retrospect, I've seen the show. How many times have you seen this episode, boss? I've only seen it twice. Okay, twice. Coach? Three. Three times. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think about four or five right now, um, but, I c- but not all the way through. A lot of, I kind of go back over certain parts over and over again. And I was like, I, I don't think I'm naturally suited to enjoy the Dutch thing of like, oh, brutal honesty, and they're just Dutch. Or I don't, I don't think I'm naturally suited to that. And I also don't think I'm uh, naturally suited to a guy who says the same word over and over again. If I, I'm like, that would be irritating to me. I think, like, if I was like, uh, if every time we talked, I was like, um, Wayne Gretzky, y'all, you'd be like, wait, what? Why does he keep saying Wayne? You know, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm, like, I'm like, oh, that's a weird mm-hmm. thing that he keeps referencing Gazelle. Um, but I ended up really liking him. And I thought, oh, it's because of these smaller choices, like the unfortunately and then the no. I ended up sort of, he sort of, sort of won me over, I think. Because um, I wasn't sure at this point what this actually was. And for those people who are in a hurry to see Rebecca and Ted get together, uh, which, you know, this is a whole other thing. And boss has wisely pointed out. She's like, I've never seen them be attracted to each other. Like take it away, boss. Well, I'm not denying that Ted and Rebecca care deeply for each other, love each other They're I don't know. The concept of soulmates to me is always so wild because I think maybe I've mentioned, but people, especially around here, somehow magically in a world of 8 billion people find their soulmate who happened to be at their big 10 college and in intro to psychology or whatever. Like, Oh, I can't believe how lucky that extraordinary that your soulmate, the single person just happens to be in your friend group. Great. Um, 
I will say that they have a connection. It should come like yeah. you, no, no you're in love, no and that's great, and that's fine. Yeah. Oh, come on, man! But I do believe that Ted and Rebecca have an incredibly deep, important relationship. I do not think they want to take each other's clothes off. Is my only argument, and I find it slightly. I don't want to say disrespectful. I'm not sure exactly what the word is, but it feels like it minimizes platonic relationships when we feel like we are somehow being deprived that they can't possibly be as in love as they should be if they don't want to have sex. Like, yes, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. Go coach. Yes. I, yes. I, that from stepping out of it for a moment, if we're in the room deciding how this story is going to play out, that would be a very compelling argument for me to not have them get together finally sexually, right? Like, so there might be whatever we move on into, they're connected, but not. And I'll just throw in that um, because when this topic came up, I have a friend, Diane, and we've never, like, even as kids, like it was never boyfriend, girlfriend, anything. We've just been unbelievable friends now since we were 10. And in many ways, like we don't see the world exactly the same way. As a matter of fact, we both talk about how differently we move through the world in our own ways. But in many ways, I'd say she's as much my soulmate as anybody on earth. I mean, Diane and I, I just can't, I mean, like we check in with each other in a way that like, you know, we're both kind of like tend to be alphas in our groups. And so we're, we are where the other one goes to be like, Man, all these people dumped all their shit on me. You got you got a minute to listen <laughs> um, and all that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really important to I, I watched um, the first season of Grey's Anatomy because I was living with my sister. And one of the plot lines in there is uh, Dr. Christina Yang and Dr. Meredith Grey are women, straight women, not attracted to each other and the other's person. Like they have a they can have husbands and they will care deeply about them and love them. But there is something about having your person. My older sister in a lot of ways is my person, the same way that my other close friends and family members are my people in specific ways. Like it is an unquestionably critical relationship to my life. And it isn't based on romantic love. And I wish that we saw more of those. This is where I give a shout out to uh, Mythic Quest with their characters, Ian and Poppy, who are sort of like this and, just get me all the way in my heart. Totally agree. And you're going to get a lot of love for that Grey's Anatomy uh, reference. And yeah, I love that beat between uh, Christine and Meredith. It's not one beat. They say it over and over again throughout the series, but they really, it's like, you're my person. And and we need that. And listen, Ted Glass was the show to pull that off if they're going to do that. That would make a lot of sense to a lot of people, despite all the uh, Ted Becca truthers. So um, unfortunately, no, please help yourself. She goes in, she pulls out a dress please change and uh, we'll eat. And then you'll go, okay, yeah, sure. And after dinner, I can give you a foot massage. She says, absolutely not. And the man says, are you sure my technique is sound? Because the only reason to protest that would be if you thought that uh, he was not an adept (laughs) at foot massage, right? Coach, that's the only possible reason. What is happening right now, right? I laughed out loud at my technique is sound. That felt very Dutch to me. Like, why? Are you sure? Yeah, I don't get it. What's happening right now, right? Well, I thought it was great, and I thought <laughs> I thought her response was a pretty perfect line of dialogue. Because when she says, I'm sure it is, 
she's one saying, I just met you, buddy. I'm not going to have you rubbing my feet. But she's also saying, if you rub my feet, I can't be held responsible for what happens after. That's the way I kind of heard it. Like, I, like there was a little bit of, oh, I, I bet I would enjoy a foot massage from you. Is that right? We're not going in. Okay. That's I. That I. What do you What do you think, boss? I I I picked up a little of that. I was sort of, uh, I guess, more imagining it the same way that uh, Marcellus Wallace did in Pulp Fiction when somebody gave his wife a foot massage and then he threw that gentleman out the window. Like, uh, I do believe that there's a level of intimacy that happens when you rub somebody's feet. Now, granted, I get pedicures and I'm not saying I'm falling in love with the woman that does that for me. So there are times, but... Having a near stranger give you a foot rub on his houseboat after a dinner with wine and a change of clothes and a shower and everything else seems a little more intimate. I didn't specifically catch that she was into it, but I got where she was coming from. I I read it to be um, she's still playing defense because he was he was clearly like, would it be better if we put brandy in your tea? And she's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Uh, how about a foot massage? Like, no, no, no. He was clearly like. Can we advance this past you're going to be here mm-hmm. to whatever? And she was still playing defense. And I thought she hadn't had a moment yet where she thought, I kind of dig this guy. But it comes up right here. She says, oh, I'm sure it is. But uh, she says, he says, my technique is sound. She says, I'm sure it is. But I, I will pass. And then he says, what? Which I love this line. Uh, Coach, what does the man say right here? Okay, then. Fine. I'll stand there with tired feet. Completely sober. It does not affect me at all. I really like that. And again, we like characters that are like, they should know who they are. And he's like, all right, like, that's fine. Like, I have, you want to be sober? Cool. You want to have tired feet? That's cool. Like, actually, doesn't. I think that's the first moment where she noticed him in a different way. That's what I thought. Interesting. I, 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 I buy that. I thought it was a great line. I also thought. <laughs> And I don't. I, again, I, I, I'm curious what boss thinks of this. It seemed to me that if you're Rebecca standing there, his awareness of your experience, like in itself, would be kind of attractive, right? Like he's not like, "Hey, there's some stuff you can do to make me feel nice." He's like, "There's a ton of shit I could do to make you feel nice, and we can make." You know what I mean? I do think that that's correct. There is something, you know, to sort of echo back to uh, Beard noticing Jane in the bar in in the pub in episode nine of season one, where he knew what she was doing. Yeah. The man does understand, empathize, can identify with what Rebecca is feeling right now. To me, it was almost a the Dutch might not have as many hang ups about if they're this honest, they might also not have as many hang ups about puritanical type stuff. So. If it's better to have a foot rub because it feels good, you're not going to be worried about the implications of that. If it's better to have a shot of brandy in your tea, then you should be doing that. Like objectively, it is better to be warm and comfortable and full of food and a little bit of wine than to be cold and hungry and all the other things. So maybe he was stating an objective fact, but also saying it in a way that she would feel better if she was be doing these things instead of being caught up in her hangups. So, so there's a moment there where they just kind of check each other out a little bit. Like they just kind of let this 
it does not affect me at all. Let it sink in. She goes, she clicks her tongue. She goes, fine, come on then. I'll have a little bit. He goes to get the brandy. She extends her arm about as far away from her body as she can, which I thought was funny. It wasn't like she held it up in front of her with a bent elbow. She was like fully extended, trying to still keep some, um, you know, distance between them. He says, Gisellig, he's a little bit softer this time. Um, and now we cut back to Jamie running. He says, they put a dam on the river Amstel. Which, and then he says, Amstel Dam. It's good, isn't it? And then he yells, come on. And Roy grabs his arm to stop him from continuing. And what does is, what is, uh, Roy say there, boss? Fucking stop for a fucking second. Yeah. And it was really great because for any athletes, like you grow up and you're the Jamie. And he says, please, too. He's like, please, at the end. He just adds a little please. Um, and and we've had these. I remember feeling like Jamie. Um, but most of the time, I feel like Roy when he sits down. <laughs> I'm like, God damn. I, I had to build a uh, like a deck uh, since the last time we recorded. Um, and, oh, my God, if you haven't done that in a while, it is like backbreaking work and you know it's just amazing like amazing that it lingers in your body and you're like jesus all i did was bend a little you know it's like a, it's fascinating you move a few cinder blocks um and um yeah no it's 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 nuts so uh roy says god how do you know so much about here and jamie says what boss it's amsterdam how do you not yeah never been here in my life what Never? No. Not one stag party? No. Not one international match? No. Not one emergency flight diverted here because some easy jet passenger was being a prick? That never happens. It does. It does happen if you're being enough of a prick, which I was. Which I was was so funny. He <laughs> enjoyed that. He mm-hmm. couldn't wait to get to that punchline. He, I mean, he really wanted that one. Yeah, he mm-hmm. leans back. He's got a huge smile on his face. It's nice because if you've come through it, it's not. There's no trauma associated with that. There's no shame. He's just like, yeah, that's who I used to be, mm-hmm. man. Right, but he's not that person mm-hmm. anymore. Now he is the living personification mm-hmm. of the uh, lasso way, and also the de facto new. Uh, it's not even an ace. He's the new deity, right? It's like you are Zaba. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was this with uh Danny and I mean and, and they're even and now we got Danny going. I mean uh Jamie has made a decision. I'm going to elevate myself to the next level. So yeah. Yeah, nothing against Danny who's the most beautiful man no. on the in the television. But but he is not getting up at four AM to do these extra things that are gonna show up. Um and Roy Kent didn't offer to train him. So um uh, the fact that you said Danny is the most beautiful man is the only reason that I'm going to let that slide. Because if you said attractive, I would have words. Yeah, he's just a beautiful. He's a beautiful human being. Like, he's just a beautiful. Everything that comes out of him, we love. You sure. Know, um, uh, yes, someone uh, wrote Tulip in Spanish. <laughs> but who? <laughs> that was so funny. Oh my god! Uh, tulips everywhere. Uh, all around them. Anybody could have pointed to a goddamn tulip and nobody did. Um, so Roy says, it just looks like a Disney version of an old city. It all looks so fucking fake. Jamie says, it's not fake. Roy says, come on, windmills? Fake. And then uh, what does Jamie say here, boss? 
I ain't even from here and I'm offended. (laughs) Windmills are real, man. What are you talking about? Roy says, yeah, I believe it when I see it. Jamie says, we need bikes. And he runs off. Right. No. What? No. And he gets up and chases him. Now we cut to Ted and Beard sitting around doing nothing. They're watching TV. Uh, Beard has ingested the entire uh, tea uh, of of, uh, shroom tea. And uh, Ted was not even able to get his mouth onto the glass. Uh, we covered this while you were in Absentia Boss. Uh, Beard is doing this crazy, crazy sensory thing with his hands. Um, and I laughed so hard watching the difference between... And Boss, you are the resident um, drug czar uh, on this podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, have you been in a situation like that? One person on, one person off? So, no. 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 No, that sounds horrible. I, uh, although the, the, I would like to mention the sensory thing makes sense. I did, in fact, do mushrooms um, recently. Well, not recently, February. Uh, I, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I did do mushrooms with a friend and then rub my feet on her very luxurious shag carpet for about 20 solid minutes. And that was one of the best things I've ever done for my feet. You think you think that this guy's uh, foot rub technique is something? He has nothing on mushrooms and a good carpet. Damn, that's good. At this point, I think we just scrap the love meter altogether. There's it like there's no sense in me. <laughs> I fix it, she breaks it. I fix it, she breaks it. Like I, I, I it's, just, it's it's pointless, man. It's pointless. We can't keep up. I'm giving yeah. her all she's got. Yes, no, no this is this is what I'm here for. Um, but no, actually, as soon as I saw, I wasn't here to talk about it. But as soon as Ted couldn't take it and Beard did, I was like, oh well, this is you don't you don't leave Beard alone in that. I mean, sometimes you have a, a if there are multiple people doing drugs and you have one sober drug Sherpa to make sure everybody stays, uh, you know, inside their minds as much as need be. Great, but. You can't have one sober person and one not sober. It doesn't work well for either person. That was my immediate thought was this is the worst way this could have played out. Like either Ted goes, oh, no, 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 no. And maybe kills the vibe, but they both don't. But one on and one off struck me as like, oh, this (laughs) this is going to suck. Yeah, that part's tough. Uh, when I was watching Beard's hands, they were kind of like doing this sensory thing on the uh, like on the chair. It's just like all about feel at that point. Yeah, uh, and I yeah. remember being in the um, Salt Lake City airport, c- coming back from um, Sundance Film Festival, heading back to LA from uh, from the festival, and I was sitting at the gate waiting to go, and I just hear this like little. Very delicate scratchings. And I'm the kind of person I'm like not gonna make eye contact with people. I try to sit with my back. I'm one of those people also that always sits with their back uh to a wall, like as if they're always expecting a mafia hit to be coming in on them imminently. Like I just you guys too? Yeah. Same. Amazing. N- not 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 me, but Kathy. She we know which seat she's going to be sitting at at a restaurant because she doesn't want to get whacked. Yeah, that's that that's that's my family with me, and they do it now. There's no actual words spoken. Like people just sort of rearrange themselves so that I don't have my back to the door. Exact yeah. same, except now we're fighting with my teenagers because they're like, "Why, Dad? I also have this. Why do you always not get to get whacked by?" You know the Gambino oh, wow. crime family. Why are you the one that gets to say, "Say, isn't your job to protect your kids?" The- and I'm like, ooh. So now, they, I, 
I love I love that their family's going to end up having every dinner out like it's the fucking Last Supper. That's what I'm waiting for. Yes. That's the photo I want to see. We just sit like in a church pew against a wall, shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> whole family, yeah, like- guns ready. Um, so so, uh, but anyway, so I'm listening. I'm in this airport, and I hear this like little scrape. I wish I could do it on my microphone or something. I wonder if I can. Uh, you can't hear it. There's a little scraping sound. I'm like, what is that sound? And I look up. And I just look right at the sound of the scraping, and it was a man's hand. So it was a man, and he had long fingers. And I bite my nails, so I don't have long fingernails. Uh, sorry, I said long fingers. He had long fingernails, just long enough to extend past the tips of his uh, fingers. And he was using the fingernails to gently sort of caress the, the leather seat of the empty seat next to him. And I'm like, that is so spooky. And... I was like, wow, that is weird. <laughs> you know, some of it was like, it was like sort of, he just absentmindedly didn't even know he was doing it. And I look up and it's Cheech Marin. Holy <laughs> shit. Wait, yeah. really? Are you for I real? I swear to God. Wait, for yeah. real? No Honest shit. To God. I was like, wait, what? And, and then that's amazing. I, I, oh, that's amazing. I look at him. And I just like, hold, like, we just make eye contact. And he gives me the biggest, doesn't even know what I'm looking at him for, but he gives me the biggest phone. He's like, Hey, how are you? <laughs> like, like, really super nice. I was like, oh my god, wonderful dude. But like, just met, he was just that was what he did, like as a comforting little thing. So that's what you didn't know. He didn't know you're going to get a Cheech Marin moment on the TedCast today, folks. But um, that used to be my placeholder thing. I would call somebody if they were high and acting high when I was not high and enjoying being high. Like I'd be like, look here, Cheech. Put down my goddamn soda. You know, like whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> Look here, yeah. Cheech. We're not talking about football for the next 17 hours, so <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> so that was like my placeholder, like you are too high and I can't deal with you. Name. So, yeah, the sensory thing is something. Uh, Ted says it's a really fun moment where Ted realizes what's happening. He looks at – they really milk it. They don't do it quickly. Ted looks at what's happening with Beard. He looks back. I mean, it looks like hell. Like – just silent, sitting in these chairs, watching something. Terrible, terrible night. Uh, Ted says, you know, Coach, if you want to go, and Beard is out of that chair like a lightning, like a shot. I'll see you in the morning. He grabs his coat, and he's gone. Mm-hmm. Poof. I, I should say that if this was going to work out with one sober, one not, if it had been reversed somehow, it might have been okay. Because Beard would have thought, like, yeah, let's do that. Like, what do you need to do, Ted? But Ted doesn't know how to handle this. Yeah. So no, yes, Beard, yeah. Needs, Beard needs to leave. And and Beard, to his credit, is sort of am- amazing, actually. He said, trust me, right? And he really proves himself to be deeply trustworthy because basically what he does is he knows what to expect and he is fighting the impulse. He's yes. like, oh, shit, I can't let go. Like, the whole point of this was to let go. But he didn't let go. So, like, the, the stroking the arm to the chin is just, like, like getting through it. Yes. So he's yep. truly a friend to Ted. Like, Ted goes, yeah, let's go on this adventure. And then he takes the first step and Ted doesn't follow him. So, anyway, I thought when he sprinted out the door, that was hilarious. And him totally being let off the hook. That, uh, yeah, you know. that was cool. Oh, I, thought, I thought we was getting high tonight. That's what I thought we were doing. <laughs> Although, also to your earlier you say point that like about, you've said that okay, before, Cheech. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was gonna, I Sorry, boss. What were you saying? 
But no, I was just going to say to Coach's earlier point about, okay, they're Cheech. Like, there is something about being sober and being with a a not sober person that could be annoying for Ted also. Like, I think they were maybe both letting themselves off, letting each other off the hooks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're good friends. Um, Now, Beard is gone. Ted thinks. He's just thinking, like, huh, that's weird. He looks uh, at the uh, mug of tea in frame. We get, I always like to call it beautiful shots. On the left, we have the Beard's empty tea mug. On the right, we have Ted's full one. And we rack focus. Uh, we're first of all looking at Ted right in the middle of them. Then we rack focus uh, to the mugs. We cut to Colin, fully in frame, hood Wait, on. Can, yes. I, I, you're right. That is a beautiful shot. And I think I've, because I've, you know, done pictures and some other things, you know, photos and some other things, it is a great way to communicate two people diverging. And this show has done it multiple times, right? So you have uh, Ted walking into the gang of beers waiting on him with the empty ones opposite. You have um, goodbye from um, Ted to Dr. Sharon, right? Yeah, like this idea of like one person, like that empty glass representing the person who's gone or no longer in. Like, I think there's um, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool device uh, to communicate a lot very quickly. Like Ted is on his own and we see it in that extra way. Yeah, well said. And yeah, it's a, and it's also, yeah, it's a different way to show the different choices, red pill, blue pill moments. And, you know, we, we started out with a Robert Frost coach, and now you're talking about I chose the road. To, yeah, let's travel. That's right. Let's traveled, right? Um, yep, so, right. yeah, Ted is, well, at least also the shot makes you know he's thinking about it. He's not just like, we're not looking at subjective camera at, with a full insert of the television. He is actually looking at these mugs and considering if not taking it, the ramifications of what it means and how crappy his night already seems having not taken it. Um, So we go to Colin. Uh, He is in the frame. He has his hood on. He's looking up at something. He exhales and and makes a move to to do something. We're not sure. And then we reverse and we see a place is called Prick with pink lights and metallic balloons, P-R-I-K, and Colin is entering. So he was get, getting up the energy to enter this bar. Uh, we got some synth pop music playing. Colin says, hey, bartender says, hi, can I help you? Colin says, what, uh, coach? Have you got vanilla vodka? Which I giggled. Like that was like, it wasn't a guffaw, but I did giggle. And what What is that a reference vodka. to either one of you? The fucking child. Right. That's Fucking right. child. Vanilla vodka. <laughs> so it turns out it wasn't Jamie. Jamie uh, took one for Colin on that. Maybe. So the bartender says, dear God, no. But Colin says, a beer, please. Thank you. Bartender says, there you go, sweetie. And Colin says, thanks. Okay, thanks. Uh, hey, can I ask you, do you know who I am? Pulls his hood off. And the bartender says, what, boss? Can I tell you a secret? Tonight? You're whoever you want to be. Yeah. And, and that should be a rule all the time for everyone at all times. But in this fucked up world, it's not. Now we see Trent in at that line. Trent Cram appears in the background. Um, Colin says, yeah. And the bartender says, you should stick around for the party later on. Thunderdong. Um, he says, good vibes, good place to make friends. And now we're going to pause for station identification as boss. <laughs> 
is going to explain what that the the relevance of this is. Well, luckily, I've already laid the uh, groundwork because I've talked too much about Jason Sudeikis's charity event called Thunder Gong, which is not the dirty version. Uh, the concert that he puts on in Kansas City each year to raise money for amputees to get prosthetic limbs. So I like that they slipped in a reference to something that I knew about. Also, I should mention right now, uh, if anybody, if I haven't said it enough before, you should go to YouTube and search for Thunder Gong 2019 Shallow and watch Jason Sudeikis play uh, Poor Man's, no, actually, I would say better version of uh, Jackson Maine, but that's just because I have a weird thing about Bradley Cooper. Incredible, amazing performance. Someday I'm going to do a shot-for-shot shot breakdown of all of the ways in which he is incredibly attractive while drinking a Miller Light and having a horrible mustache. But it's it's phenomenal. Boss, if you if you send me a link, I'll put it in the show notes, and people can just go click on it. Oh, or I'll just send it to every person in America individually and say you should watch okay, this yeah. and really get into you can it. Do that. Either yeah, way, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says, yeah, you should stick around for the later on. Thunderdong, uh, good vibes, good place to make friends, the bartender says. I like the bartender quite a bit. I thought he was a good dude. Uh, Trent says, sounds fun. I'm in. And now Colin turns and holy shit. Um, and now this is like, oh, God, this, these scenes kill me. I know they're partly, this is a comedy and it should be funny. But um, he, Colin's, you know, you can feel his whole body tighten. Trent, hey, um, can I get a drink for my work work acquaintance, please? And that is code, and it's so painful. Do not sell me yeah, out, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I get a drink for my work acquaintance, please? And it makes me so mad that anyone ever has to do this, but they do in this in this stupid back ass word world. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. Colin says, "Oh, sorry. Did you say Thunder Dog?" Bartender says, "Yep." Uh, I says, "Mm-hmm." And Colin, says, "Oh, I think I'm in the wrong place. My mistake. Cheers." And he leaves. He just zips out. And bartender says, happens all the time, right? Because uh, that was to me. Yeah. Everything you have expressed as far as discomfort in this scene, I was aware of. But I felt went on that line from the bartender. And I, and I really would commend the show. And yes, there's a funny element to this. There's the oh, time to go. But to say, like, no, this is a real thing. Like, there are people, like, basically skittering or about to 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 get to be a little bit of themselves as as quickly and secretly as they can. And uh, yeah, that line that line brought all the feelings you mentioned for me. Yeah, and and the only reason this is even remotely concerning is because Trent threw his foot into the door. That that's an ominous choice that the that the show did to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like what, like what is his game here that he's following Colin? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? We don't know at this point. And if it had been less um, cloak and dagger, maybe we wouldn't be worried. You know, I, I, I think by the end of the episode, we won't be for, I'm sure people have seen all watched all the way through, but at this moment you're like, Oh God, this is, this is rough. So is there a good way to approach a coworker in to try to, I mean, how do you, I think Trent tried to engineer this in a way where it would be uh, more casual. Like maybe if he sees me in the, in the gay bar, it won't be a, you know, whatever. It won't be as big of a thing, but 
Colin, Colin is already in flight mode, fight or flight. Uh, and he is, or freeze. Um, and he just, he picks flight and he's out. So, uh, yes, some, some just, I'm very glad that you included freeze because the understanding of that phenomenon, it never includes freeze. And it's one that people do most often, actually. It's actually quite, yeah, exactly. Somatics, right. man. And I have a child who's, who's a freeze. Um, and, my kids uh, are mostly flights. I have taught them to be totally afraid of the world. Um, I am a fight because I'm a moron. <laughs> but, 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 which is funny because I've always said, hey, I'm, I'm not provocable. But, that, but I have a um, – I've only met one other dude that has this. It was really funny. I don't know if it's a Greek thing or something. But if I get hit on the head when I'm not expecting it, I go red. And, and listen, if there's anybody else out there like this, uh, please write in so that I can make a – support group because i only met one guy he was like coming to do something at my house it was like a he was gonna insurance i don't remember even what he was i would have looked him up but he was also greek and he also told me he has this thing where if he gets hit on his head he sees he, he it's almost like my brain turns off and i just start attacking and it's like really? it's specifically oh my god uh one of our friends we were on a on a we were on a film set, Coach. You'll love this, and our uh, you're gonna know who the friend is. Um, we were working on this film. Uh, we're on we're on set, and I was producing, and um, uh, I get hit in the head. Just walking out, it's an outside shoot that day. I get hit. Something hammers me in the back of the head out of nowhere. Oof! Right, we're we're not right. in the middle of the we're shooting, but we're doing setups and things like that. So we're not like rolling at that point. And I turn like a cyborg. And I just start walking towards the person that I thought threw something at my head, which was like, Oh, the gaffers. I'm, and I'm going to kill him. Like I, cause I don't, <laughs> I don't know what right. happened. I, and I got hit. I got hit. No hard. More, right. And what had happened right. was my friend had thrown a football that hit me in the back of the head, but he knew it was, it's one of, you know, it's like somebody knows me really well and knows like, Oh, he has this setting where he can't, and he comes flying right, right. in, arms out, flailing. No, 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 no. It was me. It was me. It was me. Stop, stop, stop. And as soon as like I had recognition, I was like a foot from the guy. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, sorry, turn, turn around and walk. I was like, all right, no problem. Like, but I, wow. it's that thing that happens. And it's, this is not a good thing. It's my, why I probably I strive to be not provocable. Um, but yeah, the mm -hmm. freeze, is, freeze is, a, is a normal thing. Uh, Colin chooses flight. He's just gone. Right, he's vapor. As soon as this even begins to be a thing, he is out the door. And and Trent sighs when he says bartender says happens all the time. Trent sighs. He's like ah yeah, and he and he heads off to find Colin. Um, Colin has already dipped. He's already gone. Um, and Trent calls Colin. And what does Colin say? Uh, like as he's walking over his shoulder, hood back on, boss. Good to see you, Trent. Good to see you, Trent. And then he almost gets hit by a bike, which, Coach, you and I talked about last episode. Uh, how many episode? How many people in this episode almost get whacked by bikes? Mm -hmm, so the mm -hmm, so the Rebecca mm -hmm. thing is not as uh, is is not as much right. of an outlier. And you know, he says, "Whoa, whoa!" Because he almost gets hit. Colin says that. And Trent says, "Colin, I already knew." Yeah. Yeah. There for me, like it was so sad that Colin has to pretend to be somebody that he isn't. And I think they'll get more into that later. But there was also something about so 
I think I've mentioned, I know why on the show I've mentioned before, I'm an asshole and I'm great with that. Um, I think I've maybe also mentioned that I'm a fairly effective liar and I try not to do it because that doesn't feel like as a functioning adult or uh, uh, an aspiring functioning adult, that feels like a bad thing, but I'm pretty good at it. And this is such a terrible cover. He's doing such a bad job of trying to hide the, he, like we saw a shot of the outside of Prick, the bar. There was no confusion about what was happening inside the bar, what kind of bar it was. And that's in addition to the fact that earlier that day, he, earlier in the night, he'd said, I got some bad pickled herring and I'm going to go up to my room. Like he's doing a terrible job of covering with Trent. He should know that regardless of what happens, regardless of what he says, Trent is going to know, but he can't respond to that right away. So he has to like, say whatever he can to get out of the situation and regroup later when he could think about it. But this is, there, there is not a single person alive that is going to follow Colin into that bar and think that Colin actually was confused about where he was going. But keep in mind though, and, and in, in his, def- yes, you're hundred percent right. I, uh, am I a fan of um, conversational deceit? No, I'm not boss. So um, yeah, that's uh that's good. It's good that you're a, um, yeah. A, a, that, that accomplished I'm a liar. liar yeah. I'm, I should say I am good at lying. I do try not to be a liar is my goal. Um, the root of uh, when you get down to fight fight or flight or freeze, you are in survival mode. And so your brain does not function in the same way. Yes. So he probably yeah. couldn't access yeah. all of his – he was just on – he was on the move no. because it, it is – it's connected – just, just you know, into your into your hardwired DNA programming going back, uh, God knows how many years to yeah. to f- fighting off a predator, and and your choice in the face of a predator. So, you're, yes. it's, it's all adrenaline, yeah. and and you know the response is based on a uh, survival instinct. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. That's a, I'm not saying that like, oh, he should have been better at lying in this circumstance. Um, it, there's actually one of my favorite scenes of TV history of all time is on Shameless. Uh, it's an, I want to say season five where the character Lip Gallagher, played by Jeremy Allen White, love of my life, is talking to um, the guy at the financial aid office because his financial aid got screwed up and he's trying to figure out how to stay, pay to stay in college. And the first half of it is him like, Obviously upset, but also bullshitting and doing this thing that, uh, you know, kids who needed people besides their parents to help watch out for them, learn how to appeal to those adults to get them to help. And so Lip is doing this for this financial aid guy. He's like, hey, yeah, my, no, my name's Lip and we're buddies and blah, blah, blah. And then he has to come clean about just like everything at home and everything else because he's hoping maybe that will help him. So there is like, I identified what Colin was doing there. That's I'm not judging him for it. It's just like, it's hard to watch when you see somebody like spinning plates as fast as they can to keep this facade up and then watching them fall. Like it's, it was hard to watch. It was rough and also beautifully written. Yeah. And, and so that he says, Colin already knew and Colin stops and he's like, Oh, is this, is this the moment? Like, is this, you know, I've always worried about this moment, but like, this is a reporter that fucked Ted. And Trent continues, says, I've known for months. I haven't said anything to anyone. And I loved that he made that choice. I haven't said anything mm-hmm. 
to anyone. And I thought, you cannot say it better than that, Trent Krim. And notice that I am not using this voice right now because I loved this. <laughs> I loved this because that is – that's how you shut the – that, you, cannot, you cannot convey your seriousness about this event better than that there are no exceptions. If he said, I, I've known for months, I've only told Rebecca, Ted, and the team doctor. I've only told my therapist. I've only told That's my son. Different. No, I haven't said anything to anyone. I must have a good reason for that, mustn't I? And we get a huge can sigh I, for, from Colin. Can I, wait, yeah. wait, 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 before you move forward, though, because I think this matters. When Colin first turns around, and I think this is incredibly important here, Trent's hands, his acting, his choice physically, he approaches in the way you approach a cornered animal. He, to me, he he's saying, I know at this moment, if you thought you could get away with it, you would kill me because that is better <laughs> than, right, than somebody knows. And he is clear to show, like, I not only mean you no harm, I am positioning myself in a way where I can do you no harm. I promise. And so I, I thought that um, only somebody who'd... Exp I don't know that I... Put it this way. I've never had to be, quote, in the closet. I don't know that I would have known to put my hands up like that. I don't know that I would have known to say I haven't said anything to anyone. I Like, I, I would have tried to be comforting and helpful. But this is a guy, and we'll learn more, but this is somebody who understands what is going on with Colin in this exact moment, period. You know, and it, it really adds a lot to the scene. Yes, I love that you called that out because it, it it's exactly right. It's the... Um... I am showing you my hands. I don't have anything. I can't be threatening to you. And also like trying to comfort from a distance by saying, I promise I don't mean you any harm. Yep. That's so true. Um, great catch coach. Uh, so he says, I must have a good reason for that. Mustn't I? And Colin says, right. He sighs and he says, right. Now we cut to Ted. Uh, bored. People are speaking Dutch on television. He's bored. We get a uh, revisitation of the double mug shot. He glances. He takes out his phone. The um, I was like, it's interesting. His his wallpaper of his phone is Henry feeding ducks. And I was like, oh, that's got to be when he visited, right? That's got to be from a picture he took, right? Okay, good. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Um, and he opens it up, and he goes to text boss. And what does he text uh, boss? Just checking in. Hope you're having a good night. Right. Um and now a little slight uh, plug again for Apple, a little, little product placement where uh, if he texts to another iPhone, it's blue. And notice that all his texts are being sent as text messages. He's got sending GIFs and stuff, and um, they're coming back green, which means the other party is not getting them. Um, and he sighs, and he looks at the mug again. And now we get this phenomenal callback here. Uh, we have his POV on the TV. And who's on the TV, Coach? It's it's uh, Crazy Hair Keeley from uh, Season 1, Episode 7, Make Rebecca Great Again. And what I love... I Man, this show. 
I already was, and we've talked about it already, that it, this had a lot because the team is traveling, because we're talking about what's the team going to do as a team. This had a lot of that, um, a lot of that vibe to it. And I, that this whole episode did. And so I love that they went a step further and said, Oh no, no, we're, do- yeah, no, that's what we're doing. Like it was, you know, like I, we don't have to debate whether this is really there or what. Like they said, no, this is absolutely what we're doing. And I think there's something about embracing an advent, embracing the adventure that's part of certain, you know, that's part of the, the journey as well that I think this symbolizes. If you think about where Keeley was when this happened, where Rebecca was where this, when this happened, where Ted was when this happened, and sort of the adventures that they are now going on compared to the adventures they were going on then. I think that, that there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack in there. I'm not gonna unpack it all, God forbid. But uh but no, but really I think there's a lot in there about <laughs> where were where was everyone when we last had these conversations? You know, Isaac was just another knucklehead on the team. Jamie, Jamie wasn't even. Jamie was gone by then. Jamie wasn't even there. I mean, like, this is a different squad, man. And uh, Roy's watching Keely run away instead of Keely watching Roy run away. So we've. Oh, oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So we have seen. the call to adventure from Beard to Ted. We have seen refusal of the call. And now we meet the mentor. That's the next step. The mentor is Keely in the form of her once upon a time persona for this particular hotel chain, I'm guessing. Um, and what is what is the uh, she is she is speaking in. They have her dubbed in Dutch over <laughs> over top. Um, but what is what is the uh, what are the subtitles on the screen say, coach? for uh, what she says. It starts out, we get two different ones. The first one says what? Or feed your inner Van Gogh with the uniquely Amsterdam event, music, Museum Knock. Yeah, Museum Knock. And I and I was wondering- Which we heard about. Yeah, did, is this where Trent found it out? Like we thought he was so well-versed and he's probably in his That's room and saw funny. Keely. You know? You're right. He doesn't say like, oh, I'm a big Museum Knock veteran. He just says it exists. Um, That's great. And then art is great by day, but it's even better at night. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? So at, at this point, boss, I don't know what Ted does have to lose. Uh, we, got, we got the call to adventure, the refusal of the ordinary world. It starts out in the hero's journey, ordinary world. That's them talking about where we're going to eat, what we're going to do. Should we go with a 2.7 Yankee Doodle Burger Barn? I think we can do better. Beard says, Ted says, you know, I, I, hell, I, I need something, coach, need something new. Beard says, I got exactly, I've been waiting my whole life for you to say this. Here's the call to adventure. Ted tries to put his mouth to the glass, refusal of the call. Okay. Now meeting the mentor. Here's Keely meeting the mentor, calling Ted out. And now in the, this is the, the fundamental uh, transition where you go from ordinary world to special world. And I don't think that Ted has ever been to the special world, at least while he's been a soccer coach, at least in this iteration of his coaching existence, he crosses the threshold. That's a big step, but he has to do it on his own. He can't be coerced into it. He has to decide to cross the threshold. 
And we don't even see Ted. We just hear the door close and we get a shot of the mug that's almost empty, which I love that it wasn't completely empty because it's like still tea and he did the best he could, but he couldn't drink that much pigeon sweat. Um, great. I I should, it, it is technically tea, but I should, as a, both a tea drinker and a uh, mushroom experiencer, it is nothing like tea. Tea is delicious. It's minty or it can be chai or any other thing. And mushrooms taste like... Uh, troll fungus they're not good drugs are fun but they don't taste good oh my god i know i was telling coach i gotta not get done you it. in with the dare people <laughs> okay wait but very quickly <laughs> one of the first times that i was uh stoned like just cannabis uh was back in high school i had a friend and i split an incredibly small, I'm sure very low quality joint, and then went to a party. And as I was walking down like the the gangway, the side road into the backyard, a buddy of mine was coming from the giant bin of Bud Lights that the host had put out in the backyard. And two Bud Lights in each hand, carrying it down, wearing a Dare Advisor t-shirt that he had gotten from the thrift store. And I thought, oh, okay, I can't. I'm too stoned for this right now. This is not <laughs> This is not what I should be seeing. That is great. Yeah. Uh, I still say uh, I'll, I'll take shrooms over uh, kava. Have you ever had kava, anybody? Oh, yeah. It's really interesting. When, uh, I have a sister who was in the Peace Corps in Vanuatu. And we went there, and their drug of choice is kava, which is a plant that um, you you dr- you drink it out of an oyster thing, and it's got a oh my god, I don't even know. How to, oh, oh, I'm starting to you know I like have experienced. <laughs> oh my god! So it was all the old men in this village who drink this stuff. They they pound it down, and it tastes like uh, dirty socks, sweaty socks, and pine salt. Do you know what pine salt? Okay, it's that combination, which was vile. Um, and the effect is like being drunk and high at the same time. Um, I, I thought I was the prude on the show, by the way. Wasn't I supposed to be the prude on the show? Well, listen, if you want to be stoned and high, you just do it the old school way with an edible and half a glass of red wine. And then you call it a night. Like, I can get that. Come on. Yeah, but can you get it in the jungles of, of uh, Vanuatu? No. Probably so, not. so you do yeah, this, and then fair. what happens is it really tra- triggers people's mucus glands. I don't know why. I'm sorry to gross everybody out, but then so you have a lot of people like kind of spitting in the. It's very, very like that's great. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't know okay. why. I don't know why I'm enjoying that detail, but I kind of am. Like the idea of people getting to a point in highness where everybody's just like, <laughs> but no, they're all like in a line all... on the edge of the jungle. Like they take the stuff and then it hits them and they all like, they make, they make all these noises, but there's a line of, sp- and I was like, I am going to retch. I was so, <laughs> I was like just this little idiot. I'm like, Oh my God, like what is happening? It was such a bizarre way to experience whatever, but that was the culture and it was fine. And, and uh, I will say that I have been around the world all over the world all over the world, many, many, many countries, many places. Uh, the meanest people in the world, I always say, are from New England, where I'm from, and the nicest people in the world are from Vanuatu, which the the, the best people in the whole world. Not even close. You'd have to. I can't even imagine who could who could even start to compete with these people. They're 
so so wonderful um but yeah that's my uh my thing the the um Coach and I talked a little bit about it, boss, while you were gone, about how gross, why people take it with uh, peanut butter and that sort of thing, because the mushrooms are ugh. disgusting, very disgusting. Now we come back to the Gozelig man. Um, Venus is playing. Rebecca walks out in the dress. And uh, how does he react to this, Coach? He he just stops and stares, and. Um... It's a it's a it's a beautiful version of Rebecca, but it's not the version we've been seeing. So it's sort of interesting to watch him sort of stop in his tracks. And uh she looks just she just looked relaxed, like, you know, everything's okay. Um and yeah, I think the 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 flow of the dress and the relaxed way of the dress makes it kind of youthful. I thought I thought that too. And I remember when Rupert had said something shitty about her dress choice at the auction where he's like, Oh, nice of you to try something so youthful. He tried to make an age comment to her to stick it to her. Yes. And I was yes. like, look at her now, dude. Cause she looks great and just kind of flowy and effortless. And um, so she says, your ex is wonderful taste. And the man says, what boss? She actually hated that one. Of course she did. I bought it for her. I thought that was pretty power packed. Yeah, that's good. I mean, so they line up there. He says, "Hey, Gazelle, right?" Um, because she uh, picked the one that he liked, so that was nice. Um, that's some good, uh, sort, of, sort of a good intersection with the two of them. Um, she just smiles and goes along with it with an arm wave. Uh, she says, "Oh, that smells wonderful." He says, "It's almost ready," and. He takes a sip of something. He looks like he's enjoying the process. You know when people say, "Oh, cooking is therapeutic." You know, I haven't ever. I'm not a drinker. Uh, I I will drink from time to time, but as we've said, but um, I just t- stick to straight kava and shrooms. Apparently, um, no, these are. <laughs> it's a healthy yeah. way. No, no. I, I wish I had that thing where I like the what he does. He's got like a glass of ice and a little bit of alcohol, in it, and he's sipping on it, and he gets enjoyment out of it. I always feel jealous of people like that because I know that's a thing. And I've never had whatever that gear is where it's like, oh, yeah, I enjoy the. I typically don't tend to love the taste of alcohol uh, over something like chocolate milk, let's say, or, uh, you know, fruit punch or lemonade or something that actually tastes, to my mind, you know, sweet probably. I'm probably predisposed to a sweetness. Um, And so – but he looks like he's enjoying it. I really liked that. Uh, And he says, would you like a drink? She says, I'd love one. And – does he go and fix her a drink here, boss? Uh, what does he say? Please help yourself. In order to increase her feeling of hominess in his home. Yeah, he says, please help yourself. And I thought, oh, that's really... Um, she makes a face or something. And like, oh, like you're not going to get me one or... Whatever, but I thought he was just like, yeah, I, maybe it's just a European thing, or maybe it's just a Dutch. That he's like, yeah, like I have several types of alcohol. Suit yourself, like whatever tickles your fancy. Go, go right ahead. He, I don't know. I thought she reacted to that. Maybe I'm not. Maybe that was me reading into it. No, I thought she reacted, but I thought the reaction was, oh, where you're treating me as if we're that familiar. Like I thought. Uh, yeah, it was. Oh, like to make me, your own drink that, was. You know, how Rebecca always makes yeah, offers people it's drinks sort of like, in her office. She's like, "Hey, right. Ted, can I make you something?" And you know, she, she right. does the 
in her in her methodology, she's the one that does the serving or like that's part of the complete package is you offer the drink, you make the drink, you hand the drink. And to her, he's like, help yourself. I read it as like, oh, okay, like, okay, I guess. I don't know. I thought it was not a positive thing, but I liked how you, I like your take. Interesting. I think that it isn't her method, but that she didn't dislike it. And also that um, it almost was as if it, it was the opposite of Babs. It was not a don't go in my drawer. It was a anything that I have, feel free to access. You can do whatever you want here. I'd actually add to that since we've headed over to uh, Coach Castleton's favorite place, KJPR in Cincinnati. Oh, no, yeah. um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know why that came to me now of all times. But anyway, but but I think that it feels to me, it feels a lot like I'll get you whatever it was she said, you know, dried orange slice whatever she said and and this was the equivalent of of uh jack saying hand me that bottle right i mean we're not we're not we're not doing fancy now we're just we 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 passed that pass me the bottle let's just you know yes definitely okay so she says should i as she's making the drink should i be worried about some giant dutch woman wandering on uh, in here and uh, strangling me for wearing her clothes. The man chuckles and says, no, things are over between us and have been so for some time. So don't worry. And then she feels like, feels, feels like she pried a little. She says, uh, it's all right. I didn't mean to, you know, you don't need to tell me any of the details. Like she's, she's re upping the wall that she artificially puts into conversations, which we've talked about so Very many similar. times. Yeah. Sorry, but very similar to her having shared at the gala. And when Ted comes in and with his ice on his head and is like, you know, we're having marital trouble. And she's like, oh, no, 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 dude, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to you're not going to tell me your personal business. Are you? Um, so that's yeah, that's not a that's not a comfortable place for uh, for Rebecca, particularly. And he says what, uh, boss? She was unfaithful. I loved her very much, so it wrecked me, and I came dangerously close to destroying our family on it. But then, with time, I realized that this didn't happen to me. It happened for me, you know? Which is as close as you can get to what Ted's problem has been so far that he isn't able to address. That uh, I, I think... We'll need to get into eventually sort of the concept of uh, lethal optimism and, and how believing that things always should be good means that you can't quite get the lessons from the things that have gone bad. So this is in part sort of what we talked about with Jamie incorporating bad things that happened to him and realizing that he's here because he needs. Yes, that this didn't this. People do this thing where they say everything happens for a reason, and you're kind of like, well, fuck you, because this terrible thing happened. This was God's plan? God wanted this to happen? Like, no. I don't think that it means that things happen because that is how they should have happened. It's something happened, and there's something to learn in there that you could grow from if you open yourself up to recognizing what the lesson was and not letting it kill you. This is how I feel when I'm on this podcast and and uh boss really gets going. We should ask the questions of <laughs> boss. If we 
If you have a point to make, make it to who? Boss. <laughs> if you need clarification what the kicks. hell's going on in Ted Lasso, boss, corner kicks. Anybody mm-hmm. to boss. That was no, that's really that's really sharp. Good stuff. So I yeah, I think I think Rebecca also rep- recognizes there's a there's a um there's an attractiveness to someone who's just been through the fire a little and come out on the other side. Um like sassy sayings, you know, oh yeah, Ted, you're a mess, but I'm just I'm a mess too, but I'm just a little further. You know, we've when you go through these things, you're in a different state of messiness and you know, she she can appreciate it. he seems like he's on the other end of it. Um, the other side of it, looking back with some um, perspective. She says cheers. So just because you brought up the sassy piece and I hadn't thought about this. I think sassy, as insightful as she is, she's got a part and I'm going to call it wrong, which is not curious over judgmental, but I'm going to call it wrong for a second, which is that we should work to be not a mess. And all right, Biggie, settle down. Uh, he agrees. He is absolutely in agreement. Come here, you. <clears throat> so, I think the 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 piece that I'm 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 noticing with Sassy is it's like, oh, we should become not a mess, and then we can get to dating and reconnecting to people and living our whole lives. And I think some of the message in this episode, and I would say some of the message I've gotten from life, is much closer to what boss put forward which is no no we're always going to be a mess like from the from day one we start getting dinged up you know what i mean the knee scrape the whatever it is and it's can you continue to work on yourself and become a better part of yourself but not pause life indefinitely until you feel you're ready to go in Brene brown and her talk about um teddy roosevelt's you know when she talks about teddy roosevelt's quote about the man in the arena she says she talks about the fact that so many of us think like when I get, you know, bulletproof and I get whatever, I'm going to go in that arena. And that's never the interesting version of the arena anyway. So if when, when, when we watch Ted go out that door, that's heading into the arena. Cause he don't know what the fuck's about to happen, but he does it anyway. And when Colin, you know, when Colin stops and listens to Trent, that's the that's going into the arena in the way we want to see because yeah, Trent could tell him anything. Just because Trent said he didn't tell nobody anything, one, doesn't mean you're safe, and two, don't mean that's true. But will I dare to go into the arena of connecting and 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 telling my truth? So anyway, I think Sassy is very insightful. I'm not sure she's quote unquote right. Yes. Everything you just said, yes. Um yeah, I guess we'll just have to uh boss and coach from here on out. Um, but I, I I do think that Sassy recognizes that she isn't ready for a relationship, so she's not going to do that. It, but also, if uh, Dan Savage says that to be in a relationship, you don't need to be perfect. You need to be in good working order. So if you waited until you're perfect, you're going to be waiting forever. I love that. But you want to make yes. sure that you're in good working yes. order. I, that's perfectly said. A going concern, right, boss? Yes, I taught you something about accounting. Suck it. Yep. Against against my will, but I got it. Um, mm-hmm. So, but he, he, learned te- it. he She says cheers. He teaches her how to say pushed, and and she he nods when she gets it. Now we get uh, Zij Geruft in Mij playing, and 
she's like, wait, is this some Dutch bloke saying she believes in me by Kenny Rogers? Uh, which is obviously a callback to first concert, best concert. Uh, stunning. There's a callback here. Can you imagine? In Ted Lasso? So, never never seen it before. Won't see amazing. it again. Uh, so the man says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This Dutch bloke is, this Dutch bloke is the great Andre Hassas. And he's saying, all right. And she says, okay. And he says, and yes, the gambling man did it first, but shh. And he starts singing along with the music. He's got his uh, whisk out and he's singing into his whisk. And it's, he's got a nice voice and he's willing to be vulnerable and silly and, and just himself. And dare I say whimsical. Yeah. Right. And then Rebecca follows suit. And who knows, maybe on some special night, if my song is right, God, her voice is so beautiful. I'll find a way. We haven't heard her sing since um, the Frozen song. What's it called? Uh, uh, oh, no, no, no. That incorrect. We did see it? her sing the Christmas episode. Oh, oh, I know no, that she does sing. No, no, we didn't. Doesn't what, she sing? What Christmas episode? Oh, yeah. Good. I knew where he was going. Good, yeah, good, I good. I knew where he was going. Thank you. I love yeah. you for that. There's Yeah, there's no such thing, boss. Uh, so they, they <laughs> sing together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's singing to her drink. He's singing into his whisk. And um, she does the last, she does the little voice throw Kenny Rogers as she lays sleeping. And I was like, oh my God, that is such a great, because those are the parts of the songs we all know. And I always wanted right, to do a right. game show where you put people on television and they would have to identify like when somebody in Aerosmith would go, wow. Or what you know, like, but they would know when those things are coming. It's it's much much less prevalent in music today. But when we were growing up, there was all these little things. Sometimes people would talk. Sometimes you'd have a little guitar. It's like, hey, what's the next thing? Like, oh, this is the bridge, or this is the this is where they they say, "Won't um, leave mountain road," right? Mm-hmm. It, it it's not exactly the same, but it's when the entire audience shouts Leonard Bernstein in yes, End of the World yes. by When you know nothing except the whole room, Leonard Bernstein, yes. and then it's back. Right. Right. Yes. Amazing. I, I'm going to toss this in. Don't know if it'll come up again, but just because you mentioned bridges and songs and bridges are so huge here. One of the things I've heard, and I, I'm going to try to remember as we go, who got into this conversation, but was saying that uh, pop songs today generally don't have bridges. And I thought about it and I was like, holy shit, that's right. And I'm sure one thing is that that makes songs shorter, which means you can play more songs, which means, right, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but I also think it makes songs, and I'm going to use a musical phrase, one note. And I think this, it's interesting that you thought to say Bridges and that the idea of Bridges has played such a big role here, because if anything, this show refuses to be one note. This this show, it's verse, chorus, bridge. The chorus next time might be the bridge. This, you know, from last time, it's just a very, um, it's rich in that way. So I think it's interesting that that's the phrase that came up for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You couldn't fucking build Jeff Bridges. Um, exactly. So I'm building fucking bridges here. I don't think I've mentioned it before, but 
it wouldn't be an easy thing to build Jeff Bridges. The man is a legend. Like, he was the dude. That was an entire lifetime building Jeff Bridges. That's more of than fair. Of course, Ted Candy. Come on. That's more than fair. Oh, he's so good. He is so good. I cannot stress how good he is. We were watching True Grit like two weeks ago, and he's just in an outhouse. You just hear his voice. The Jakes is occupied and will be for some time. And you're like, I cannot. The Jakes is occupied. Yeah. Oh. The the boyfriend loves Jeff Bridges, although he – Strictly refers to him as the dude. I don't know. He knows his real name, but he'll never acknowledge it. Um, we were watching the first Iron Man and it wasn't until like two thirds into the movie where Jeff Bridges is shouting at the scientist, Tony Stark built that suit in a cave in Afghanistan. And the boyfriend goes, Oh, holy shit. That's the dude. Like he'd so completely disappeared into the character that even though he's one of his favorite actors, he didn't recognize him on screen. Yeah, because he can do anything. This is a guy who was in Fabulous Baker Boys and all the right moves as a football quarterback. And I mean, it, it, like uh, Tron. Like, what what are we talking? He is. I mean, just spec. What a what a what a career. What a man. Just stunning. Really, stunning. only Lloyd Bridges could have built Jeff Bridges. I think is the point. Ted falls Amen. short. Amen. Amen. Lloyd Bridges. Uh, Lloyd Bridges is a classic. Um, but they have this moment and it's beautiful. It's really nice. Whether or not, you know, one of our writers at the antagonist was making fun of me and some other people. They're like, this is a show by happy people for happy people, um, which is I, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm on with that because I want I at least aspire to be happy as much as I can. Um, that's, that's, that's what I, I just, sorry. I'm, and I, and I miss said debate. So I'll be catching up on that, on that later, but I would make the argument that this is a show by people who value happiness for people who value happiness. I don't think the understandings of the pain of divorce, the, the agony of of um, thinking you're not worthy of the person who's standing next to you, the anxiety, you know, going off the charts, um, being separated from one's child. I think these are all things that have happened in people's lives that they've had to work through. And they're giving us a, a way of looking at it and going through it that points toward happiness. But I don't think this is the work of people who are like, ain't life just, you know, ain't life grand, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's some experiential thing, too. Especially if you know the darkness, it's easier to be happy or value the happiness because you've you've, yeah. you've experienced it. Um, I want to make three quick points, um, and then I'll let you guys talk. Uh, the first one, well, this is not a point. They clink glasses, and they say, um, they, she says, hmm, Rebecca, like, processes this, like, how much fun she's having. Um It struck me that Rebecca hasn't had this much fun in a long ass time of just deciding to sing along. There's no eyes on her. One of the things about being underneath the cover of this houseboat is almost like out of time. No one can see her. He doesn't even know who she is. She doesn't even know his name. There's no, she's not for the very first time. She's not Rebecca Welton or Rebecca Mannion or anything associated with Rebecca. Anything. He doesn't know her name. He just pulled her out of the, out of the drink. And she is getting to her choice to sing with him really brought me back to the moment where Sassy said, oh, you think you you know that, Rebecca? Wait till you meet the real Rebecca. She's silly. 
And I thought, wow, this is it. We're getting to see this is the, this is the one Sassy was referencing, right? And 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 by the way, in the episode we've already talked about, which was make make America make Rebecca great again. Um, so yeah, I think you're you're dead on there. I also noticed point two is that Keely said to Jack, you know, we picked up Lamka poops, and it was the most fun I've had in a while. And it was it was interesting. Whatever tier Keely and Re- Rebecca have gotten to as friends, and I don't doubt their friendship. It's amazing. Um, but but their support structure and they're both harried and they're both exhausted and they're both, whatever. It's required both of them to kind of go out and find the next tier so that they can have this kind of fun. Not that they couldn't provide it to each other, but it hasn't availed itself because of whatever you know practicals pra- practices they are part of. Um, be it the fact that they work together or you know they have a certain pattern of behavior. Rebecca had to be totally with a stranger for this to happen. Keely had to be with a new acquaintance for for her thing to happen. But you get a sense that they both had needed to get find different people to have this type of fun with. And it reminded me of when they were in Ola and they were looking at all their partners, ex-partners, like you know, had moved on. And Keely said, Oi, there are better things ahead than any we leave behind. And I thought, oh, this is we're finally getting to see a little bit of that here. I I think it's funny. I was uh, in my per in my own life. I was thinking about recently. Yesterday, I got to hang out with some old college friends. Is the short version. Um, people that I sang with with uh, Daphne, one spouse of one of those people, but all like we've all. She's been with him for so long that like you know she's now part of this group too technically or you know whatever in actuality and it struck me and not to say like people always you always want something but it struck me that in the time i was there as 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 biggie demands whatever he's back there demanding no but it struck me that in the time i was there nobody needed anything from me they briefly mentioned they were going to vegas and i was like uh and somebody mentioned cirque and i was like if you're serious about cirque I, I know a guy who could probably help hook you up and they kind of checked it out and then they were like, Oh no, that's not going to work out. So we moved on with the rest of the day. But even then, like, it was like, Oh no, you know, don't worry about it. You know, nobody needed anything. And I'm sure from Rebecca, not that Keely hasn't been there for her or anything, but she is still a bit of mentor in this, in this conversation. And so let's say I have drinks with somebody who I once coached, but who's now fully an adult, fully, you know, blah, blah, blah. It'll be fun. We've made develop a friendship, but there'll always be a component of the relationship. That's like, we can't end this evening with you holding my hair back. Like we can't like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yes. I'm not going to be the guy I am at the fantasy football draft. Even if we can go out and have fun and relax. So I think there's a bit of that at play here. Yeah, sort of. The only thing, uh, Castleton, that I will – not correct, but I'll say that um, I don't think that they needed to get to another tier with somebody else in order to have this kind of fun. I think that Keely and Rebecca are so in sync and so close that there is a tier where you go in and you say, here's all the shit I've been dealing with. Like, I think that for each other, they are so close that it is sort of the outlet where they acknowledge all of the gripes and all of the bad stuff and do the crimes. And so what they actually needed to do was not be as close to somebody so that they could let loose in a different way. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I I don't know even how I... I use the word tier because that presupposes levels and it's not about a level. It's just about like a area, 
It's like in this area of your life, you're yes. with Rebecca. In that area, you're with some random dude singing Kenny Rogers. And they just needed that complimentary area. So yeah, you're right. Thanks for clarifying that. Uh, the third point I want to make for the people that are Ted Becca truthers is let's fast forward a tiny bit and say, okay, let's presuppose that when uh, we don't know what's going to happen here. Um, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I assume everyone's seen the episode. Uh, she says, I'll never forget you. Let's say this is all we ever see of Matteo van der Green. Let's say she decides that she knows that whether or not we believe it, let's just hypothetically say, what is the point of this then? Because sometimes we lament the choices of including things in the episode where we go, there was no, you know, that was a big thing for boss in season two. There have been certain parts of it for me in season three, despite my uh, love and affection. Um, I, I've, I've wondered, okay, I wonder why they're putting this in here. But this guy, there is a case to be made for the, the Ted Becca uh, people that this is a starter Ted. Uh, so it's a warm up thing where he's the Dutch Ted. He's a divorcee. Um, his partner either left him for someone or cheated on him, whatever. They have a kid and he's trying to move on best he can. Similarly to Ted. Uh, also similar to Ted, he cooked for her, uh, made her something the way she likes it and evoked uh, them saying, you know, fuck, fuck me. <laughs> like they each had, they each got elicited a fuck me from her. Um, and then the third thing um is the Kenny Rogers reference, which we don't think there are accidents on this show. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that there uh, was a Kenny Rogers reference. So, you know, it, it's just, it, this could be seen as if he never comes back, I, and I don't know what's going to happen. I have no uh, crystal ball in this case. Um, but some people are framing it in a way like, you know, this could be something that's a wake-up call for her about actually something that she's interested in. I'm just throwing it out there uh, just to do service to the theory. I mean, this show, they make, they definitely make choices. If anything, I've not been rooting for Ted Rebecca as much as I've been open to the, maybe they can do it well. For me, this make it, made it seem significantly less likely. I think the fact that they might have spent this evening together that Ted maybe is even leaning himself on, you know, even if we want to go to the furthest end of this unknowingly into, well, maybe my time should be spent with Rebecca and that she's just not available for it. Um, I think points to, they can be there for each other in a certain way, but they're not going to spend this night together. And I, and I, that leans me away from thinking that ultimately that's where they end up. Yeah, I, I sort of feel like these are very fun things. For me, it's more of an analysis of what are the writers paying attention to in the writer's room? Are they following people on Twitter? Are they listening to the chatter on this? Are, do they want to give us nods to that? But until I see Ted look at Rebecca the way that Roy looked at Keeley or Beard looked at Jane, until that happens, I will not believe they want to fuck and I yeah. will not believe that they should end up in a romantic relationship. Yeah. But I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen, but I'm going to say, show me that, like, these nods to it are not the same. That's right. Follow the money, boss. Show me the money. Um, I'm with you. I, I've, I've never seen it, and I frankly don't want to see it. I am not a Ted Becca person. I want 
exactly that to not happen. Um, but we stay open and curious and not judgmental. Um, uh, we cut, we cut back to Roy, uh, catching up with Jamie. Uh, Roy is so far behind him. <laughs> he doesn't see Jamie literally standing, waiting at a corner. Uh, and Jamie has to go. Psst. And of course, you know, when they greet each other, they, they all say, the fuck do you want? Um, and now Roy goes up, the fuck are you doing? And Jamie's like, just be patient. It shushes him. And up comes this dude. What we find out is like a thief, a bike thief. And he says, bicycle. And what does Jamie say, coach? Thank you. Uh, two, please. And the guy says, oh, I love a challenge. Hold this. Leaves one of the bikes with him. Uh, and Jamie laughs. Oh, mate, we've just made tonight amazing. I don't want to ride around in a fucking bike. And Jamie says, oh, come on, man. Come on. It'll be fun. Uh, the thief seconds later comes back with another bike. Uh, voila, 60 euros. Jamie says, what, coach? Have a hundred. Have a hundred. little tip for you. The thief says, thank you. Um, and Jamie offers Roy the bike. And Hair. Yep. And Roy says, get it away from me. Jamie offers the bike uh, here, and Roy says, get it away from me. Oh, come on. No, I don't want it. Mate, we take the bikes. We find a windmill. No, I said no. Why the fuck not? I don't know how to ride a bike. Oh, Roy. So this is now. This is shot selection I, here, boss. Remember? Like, go ahead. Go ahead. Fi- finish that, and then we'll talk about the shots. Well, so this might be something that we add to the Ted Lasso book club slash viewing club. I have never seen the movie The Bicycle Thieves, and I have no idea how this guy might be related to what Jamie and Roy end up doing in the rest of the night. I I, I know of the movie, and I know it's, uh, I think, um, two kids searching for their dad, possibly, which, again, would be a a pretty heavy Ted Lasso dad thing. But it, it didn't seem like... Brendan Hunt as the uh, film connoisseur that I know him to be from his various podcasts would not know that this is a reference. It wouldn't throw in a bicycle thief without an idea about the movie, the bicycle thieves. So I don't have enough information besides that to get beyond this right now. Maybe we do a watch and we talk about it later, but I wanted to throw it in. Yeah, the bicycle thief. I I haven't seen yeah at the. I have not seen it since, like, you know, high school or whatever. It's been a long, yeah. long time. Um, so I, ugh, I barely remember. It. Now you're just making me want to watch the player. Um, you ever see that one with Tim Robbins? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But also a long time ago. Yeah, undervalued, um, underrated. Yeah, that was some good Altman stuff. Yep. Uh, um, also, uh, I would never forgive myself if I only credited Brendan Hunt as being a uh, film connoisseur when uh, Brett Goldstein has a podcast called Films to be Buried With. So obviously he knows it also, probably a lot of the cast, but I'm going to specifically call out the two of them. That's lovely. Um, now the shots. I don't know how to ride a bike. Now we get a shot of the thief, like straight face, reacting to that. Uh, realization. Then you have a shot of Jamie looking at Roy, and then he turns in the the shot and looks at the thief, 
Then they pull back, and you have a third shot of them regarding him, of them looking at Roy silently, and then both of them just bust out into belly laughter, like hard, hard laughter. And it goes on so long that there's a moment <laughs> where you're actually on Roy, where you can see like him just just welling up with rage and shame. And then the moment is broken by the thief who says no refunds and jogs away like quickly before they want their money back. And what does Jamie say, uh, coach? Fucking hell, Roy. Do you know how to tie your own laces? By the way, for the first two viewings, I said, fuck. I thought he said fucking Elroy. Uh, Probably just a little bit too much Jetsons in my life. (laughs) And I was like, I don't really get it. Like Elroy wasn't like a. I was like, I don't get that joke. I do, like, I was stumped. And then, fucking Elroy. Right. Got it. I don't know that if we've had a sense. Jetsons reference on this uh, on this show yet, but I, I love mean, it. It seemed, it seemed possible, but yeah, once I heard fucking Elroy, then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's fine. That's Whenever it. George Jetson opened his wallet to give and pulled out a dollar bill to give to Jane, his wife, and she takes yes. the wallet and zips. And leaves him the dollar. Yep. I was like, oh, that is, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of people waking up. Mm -hmm. Jane's where it's at. Okay. So um, uh, he says, yeah, do you know how to tie your own laces? Roy says, stop being a dick. When I went to Sunderland, my granddad told me he'd teach me how to ride when I came back for Christmas and then he fucking died. And I haven't been on a bike since. And Jamie just listens. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I realize that never learning was actually a great disrespect to his memory. And now I feel ashamed. So can we stop talking about it and go back to me just taking out my negative emotions on you, even if you deserve it or not. And I intentionally didn't take a breath there because neither did he. Because yeah. And he was running out of air at the end, which I thought was just great. Can we go back to me just taking out my negative emotions on you, even if you deserve it or not? So one of the things I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, how much I loved the show, How to Get Away with Murder, even though it was a ridiculous show. And I, if Viola Davis had not been there just acting her fucking ass off, right. I never would have paid a moment's attention to it. But as it got more into Annalise Keating's backstory, it was very clear that she was traumatized at a very young age that she never learned how to process through that trauma and therefore for the rest of her life could never properly deal with any of her emotions because she hadn't learned the actual skill itself. Like she hadn't been taught how you deal with things when they are shitty and how to recover from them. Roy is exhibiting here in a few lines, how once you get good at it, you can do it in the middle of your process, like as bad things are happening, you can recognize Mm -hmm. what you are doing wrong Mm -hmm. and how you are doing them wrong and why you're doing them wrong. And even if you can't actually fix it, even if he says now he feels ashamed, so he can't learn how to ride the bike tonight. And tonight he needs to go back to punishing Jamie for his own emotions. He knows what he's doing. He, he does actually see a way out eventually of his negative emotions, but for right now, the best he could do is recognize them and say he's going to keep doing the bad thing until he could do the better thing. But this is why you go to therapy. Because then you learn how to do this shit. And then it's easier every time that you do it. I, I And I, I love that you say this is why you go to therapy. It's also what's comfortable, ultimately. And so he's like, this is too much. Like, I'm too extended right now to do a new thing. 
<laughs> right? Like I need I need a little bit more gas in the tank to be able to do a new thing. Th- this whole piece is it, it plays a little different for me, but my my dad taught me how to ride a bike. It was a little later than most. There was some uh somehow he thought magically we had learned. I was like, but you didn't teach us and there's no part of you that thinks mommy taught us. So I don't know what we're discussing right now. But anyway, that's a different that's a that's a different uh revealing story. But <laughs> when it came time for my kids to learn how to ride their bike, I would get consumed with this unbelievable sadness. It was like for real, for real. Like and I and finally I you know, not maybe even finally, but I sorted out. It's like because as I go to grab the bike, I'm thinking of my father and I'm blah blah blah. And now I miss my father. And that's like that's what this whole thing means, but getting on the bike. And so Daphne had to take over a lot of it. And I was telling that story at dinner at one point. Um, you know, a couple friends of friends, blah, blah, blah. And this one guy, kind of joking, but whatever, when I said, like, and I just have found I can't do it, he said, so basically you made your kids learn how to ride a bike about you. And he was, it was a joke, but it wasn't a joke. It hit really hard. And I felt like, okay, like, that is certainly not incorrect. It's also me admitting, like, I bumped into something that was too big to be brushed aside. And I think I think that's cool for Roy here. It's not it's not just whatever. It's like whatever value there was in riding a bike was not worth dealing with processing through bike equals grandpa equals fuck that yes i love that story i love so much that you connected those two things and also uh that you said that you bumped into something too big to brush aside because 90 percent of most people's days is just brushing aside stuff that they can't deal with yet rebecca saying that's too bleak of a thought we can't deal with that right yes now. right like at that point, she wasn't even, this is how we're going to deal with it later. She was just like, no, we're not dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm, yeah, that's great, Coach. Um, yeah, Jamie listens. Uh, he nods, and then he hands the bike to Roy. And he says, go on, Roy, for granddad. And then he, affor- he affords himself a small smile. And I remember remember in, in season one, when they call Roy Kent up for the uh, bachelor auction, Jamie yells out granddad. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. This fucking show, man. That's what he yelled out. And I'm like, so I always go, how do they do that? You cannot do that. They cannot. You just don't plan it that well. They must have had like the, the skeleton of this back in season one in order to pull something like that off because it's just that kind of connection on a television show where the, the pressures of writing are so quick. Um, and shooting and everything like that. It's just, I've never seen it. So Roy says, fuck. Uh, surprisingly, because I don't, has he said fuck before on this show? I don't know if he's ever, just correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. That's, I, um, that would be, that would be a potty word. He doesn't do those. Yeah, I found it jarring. Uh, music comes up, raindrops keep falling on my head, which is, okay, this is the, uh, this is the same uh, music they play in the Butch Cassidy uh, bike riding scene. Um, 
Oh, and now we get the the greatest bike riding scene in TV history. I'm trying to think if I've enjoyed any more anything else I've seen with bike riding more than this. Um, and that includes like movies like American Flyers or whatever that were bike movies. I'm like, I still love this so much. And you can't do it justice. You know, you just have to see it to believe it. Me going through it and saying the words, you know, he says, you're going to sit up here, look up and pedal straight back up. Put your feet on the pedals is really funny. Put your feet on the pedals, put your feet because he had his legs up. That was funny. Um, when we start out, it starts with just the whole thing just toppling over. That was the first beat was a straight fall <laughs> and jamie goes straight back up straight back up uh which is which is he's just the spirit of energy in this and all and it's funny because whoever wrote this uh has i know it's brendan hunt and jason Vegas, but whatever input they got from the writer's room someone has taught someone how to write it because this was the stages it's not the stages of grief but it's the stages uh that happen yep you have to learn like yep. not to sit on the side of the seat to balance you know you have to learn Okay, you want to be. It's easier to go to move forward rather than you know stay. St- it's hard to balance and not be moving forward. Um, you get the point where uh, you know, good lad, pedal, pedal, pedal. That's it. Um, you get the point where you learn how to turn one way but not the other. So you know, Roy says, "I can't turn the other way. I can't turn the other way." That whole thing. Um, in the middle of this, you also have Roy throwing the bike, and Jamie's like, "How's that going to help anyone?" Which is just keeping his eye on the prize. Yeah. I and know. also just the, the the delivery of that line. Like, there have been times when I've been dealing with children where I'm like, why did you choose that? Why is that your decision? How is that, how is that going to help anyone? Is that going to make you ride the bike better? No. And eventually, you know, it's all about balance, man. It's like dribbling. If you can dribble, you can balance. That's it. That's good. You do. All right, mate, it's good. Roy's saying, I'm going to kill you. You're doing it. You're doing it. And then Roy's saying, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Let's go find a fucking windmill. I so there were a number of things I loved about that. I just loved the telling that came from the two of you. So I was happy to to stand down and just enjoy that for a moment. Um, but for me, one of the things that jumped out is, oh, Jamie's not a bad coach. Yes, right. Yeah, D- through the whole sequence, I was like, he's doing great. Yes, like Roy's yes. Roy is improving, but I was like. Because when you're, I mean, you got to, you know, and like, he could have been like, all right, fine, fuck you, throw the bike, like, I'm done with this shit. But he's like, no, all you're doing is being frustrated. You threw the bike at me, but you're not throwing the bike at me. So I can keep, and he just, so I thought like, oh my God, in season 10 in my mind, (laughs) Jamie ends up, you know. Coaching also some, being, what, yeah, what would you say? Coaching some brash, you know. What would you say kid with graffiti, coach? What would you say defines Jamie's type of coaching in this? I can think of two words. I would definitely say um, belief. Like he's like, you're gonna learn. Like all we're doing right now is whatever this process is gonna be. You will learn this. You got it. So I think there's like belief. And then I would say, well, I guess it's three then, because I would say encouragement. And then the other is breaking it down. And I think that's a really important part of teaching somebody how to do a thing. Like to just say, all right, here's a bite, write it. But he's like, no, look up, right? And he doesn't give them 10,000 things. It's not, look up, put your shoulders here. You want better to lean back this way. He's like, look up, sit up. Okay. No, okay. Wait till we get that. And then it's put your feet on the pedals. 
which seems super, but it's he's not like you have to put your feet on the pedals so that you can bounce. Like he's just like put your feet on the pedals. So anyway, I thought the encouragement, the uh, the breaking it down, and whatever the third is third thing is, I said because ADHD robbed me of it. <laughs> what, I, what I was going for, Coach, was when Ted in season one goes to Keeley and finds out uh, that what makes what works for Jamie is blowjobs. And he says, what else works for him? What did Ted, what is Keely? Uh, positive reinforcement. And isn't that what is happening yes. right here? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I think my favorite part of this whole exchange is when Jamie says, uh, if you can dribble, you can balance. It, because this might be the first time yes. that Roy has had to learn how to do something new since he learned how to play soccer when he was leaving Sunderland with his grandpa to go play. Like the last time anybody had to teach him a physical skill, he was probably a child. And so he's connecting it to you learned how to do that. You can learn how to do this. I love that you made the physical distinction because we've watched Roy as we did in the speech that led into this, as we did when it was don't crowd your teammate. We've watched, we've watched Roy learn. So Roy has shown a capacity and desire to learn, but not physical, like the physical, that's actually his domain. So, yeah, I think yes. it is significant that we're in that space and that's what he would compare to do what Jamie would compare it to. Nice. So uh, we cut from there. It was just beautiful. It was uh, um, I forgot to say when Roy says, let's go find a fucking windmill. Jamie laughs and says, for granddad. All right. Wait for me. And then hops on. And it was it was a minute and 10 seconds of screen time. That's it. Minute and 10 for that whole thing to take place. Um, and I thought it was just one of the best minutes, solid minutes of television you'll ever see. Um, just beautiful. I'm going to include that uh, Beard's pub speech was almost exactly the same amount of time. But yes, equally great minutes of television as far as I'm concerned. So we cut to uh, the jazz club. Uh, Will has uh, Higgins went off to get some drinks and Will is taking a seat. He says Higgins comes back and finds him at a table. We're sitting here. and. Will says, yeah, well, you know, he said, pick good seats. So, and Higgins says, oh, these are so exposed, which reminds me of, I used to go to, uh, coach used to, uh, when I was living in LA, a coach would do these comedy shows. And it was like when he was breaking in uh, to the business and they would say, what do they call it, coach? Uh, it was like a bringer, a bringer. Yeah. A bringer. And to explain to yeah. people what that means. Basically the, the, the producers of the show, um, depending on the angle you're looking at it from um, either are creating an opportunity or taking advantage of new people, sometimes some combination of the two, but it's, if you, you if you bring five people, then you can get up, you, you know, you can, you can uh, be on the, in the lineup. So uh, if you don't have the credits to be booked anywhere, other relationships, then the relationships you do have are with your friends. So you can get them to come. But uh, you know, it gets a little, it gets a little exploitative at a certain point. Yeah, um, as, a, but, as a friend, but starting out, I get it. Yeah, well, you do like a two drink minimum when you get it. You yeah. know, so they know they're gonna make some money, and you kind of earn your way on the stage that way, or whatever. You know, in some fashion. Anyway, I can't comment to the backside things of it, but I know that when I sat there, I would be like, okay, good, we're gonna sit way the fuck here in the back, <laughs> like as far, like what is the darkest part of the room? Because I am not gonna get called up. To, or get picked on or, you know what I mean? I'm not, not doing that. So Higgins uh, re- relates to this. Oh, he, these are so exposed. 
And it's like the time I was front and center in an improv comedy show. Um, are they going to make a song about how I look like an altar boy? I snorted. That was like a for real snort line for me. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Higgins uh, just, all right. He relents. He goes, all right, it's okay. You did great. Thank you. Here's your drink. Thanks for doing this. Will. one program alone is merely a zealot, but two programs together. That's a pilgrimage. Will actually like giggles at that line. <laughs> um, and they do cheers. Uh, here we go. And it starts, and then uh, Dante Charles is the is the the singer. Welcome to Jazz Cafe Alto. My name is Dante Charles, and we are we are the cartel. And uh, the music starts, and Will is really into it. Like right away, is like really ca- captivated by it. And Higgins leans over uh, and says, "Miles Davis once said that." And what happens here, Coach? Will waves him off, shushes him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he's really like quiet. Please. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, so it was a good good spot for the two of them. And now we don't, to this point, know how everything worked out with Trent's ma- massive plan to out-call into the world. And now we get the most wonderful scene of relief. Um, uh, Trent and Colin are having their conversation at the uh, Homo Monument. It's a memorial in the center of Amsterdam, Uh which commemorates all gay men and lesbians who have been persecuted because of their sexual orientation. Um, and that's where they're sitting. Trent says, and that was the second time I came out to her this time. However, she believed me. And now we're closer than ever. And Colin asks, and your daughter Trent says, yeah, she's never been happier. And they clink beers. And I'm like, I had such a overwhelming sense of relief at this moment. I'm like, Oh my God, he's just bonding. He's just being a good dude. Like Trent was like, oh, you are alone. You are navigating this alone. And I have already done the sailing and I will come with you and I'll just be there with you. I could cry. I get so I get so emotional about this stuff. Um, because Trent went on the pilgrimage with Colin, too. Mm-hmm. You're right. It, wow. it, I, I mean, I, I think that there's uh, obviously you know, the themes running through it. But if you see the number of times that people pair off in order to go through journeys together in this episode and learn things and experience things like it, it, it's sort of interesting that Beard and Ted ended up separately because everyone else's odd pairs coming together in order to make meaningful experiences. And and I think in a, an embrace of adventure itself, a Ooh, what's going to happen if your will like, I mean, we laugh about it, but he's seriously like, so the red light district, like everything at home all right at home. I mean, like everyone isn't just like, Ooh, wee, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. Um, there's a little trepidation. I think that matters. Makes it more exciting as well. I, 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 yeah, I can't even, I get so choked up. Even when I was writing this in the show doc, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to break down. This is going to be the second time I break down. Um, uh, I wrote something for Pajiba a few years ago. It, it was one of the most beautiful things I ever saw on television. And it was during Survivor, of all things. And and a lot of people missed it. But I grew up, uh, my older brother is gay and lived in an era where he couldn't tell anybody. We didn't know. Nobody knew. He lived a m- miserable existence of, you know, just it was just terrible for him. And... um Sorry. Um, no, you're all right. Take your time, man. Mm-hmm. 
So I was watching Survivor, and I saw this one scene where these two, two, there's two guys on a on the on a team, and they start talking. One is absolutely out, has always been out, uh, is the outest person on Survivor. He was super fun and outgoing and crazy, and you know he was he was he embraced his uh, his queerness. Never even considered being in. Never. He was the younger of the two, and. In this episode, the older one, who is a gruff, beef, beefy Boston cop, comes out to the younger one, who was already out. And this guy had spent his life like my brother, who was who it was really hard in the in the world he lived in. And and I and I watched that and I got so emotional. I said, Oh my God, this is one generation. Because the older guy was a Gen Xer, mm-hmm. the, the kid that was out was a millennial. And I was like, in one generation, we went from this is life or death, you don't talk about this to the, the younger kid never even thought about staying in the closet. Never even occurred. He said it, he said it. It never even occurred to me. And I thought this is, this is, this is progress. I'm watching what progress looks like and feels like, like we are headed towards a better world. And then some things have happened worldwide and politically in our country where I worry about that, that trajectory. Um, and it's, and it's, so it's really hard to, to see that. So when I see these moments of what I find as we get into this, it says, Trent says, my point is it was really difficult to hold on to that secret. Uh, but, but I'm not a professional athlete. How do you do it? Colin says, well, my whole life is two lives. Really? You got my work life. Like no one at the club knows. And I'd like to think they wouldn't care, but it's just easier that way. And then you got my dating life. Some guys think it's hot. Others say they don't care, but eventually they get tired and they move on. Then the club brought in Dr. Sharon. Again, Dr. Sharon, not in the episode, but couldn't be more in the episode. And she helped me realize that I have. (laughs) Yeah. See, uh, so basically, you know, with Colin jumping in there and talking about Dr. Sharon, you, you, you get that and that, and that ache that he references. That's a, that's a, that's a real thing. Like we might not all be caught up in. You know, I'm hiding my sexuality, but that's a that's a real that's a real, real thing when there's something you're holding on to and you just feel alone with it. I I don't that is that is specific. I think hearkening back to the speech of, you know, of Ted saying there's something worse than being sad is being sad and alone. I think there's. Even beyond alone, like isolated. Yeah, yeah. Like alone almost sounds temporary, but isolated sounds like forever. And I think that's probably more the feeling Colin had is I will be isolated in my two life existence forever. This is it. Like, yeah, yeah. I think I, I, um, I, I feel like there is something about being seen that uh, it's one of the things that. I don't care what sort of weird shit Beard and Jane do. Like Jane sees Beard and Beard is not seen by most people. And in his case, it isn't because of his sexuality. It's just because, you know, he's sort of a weirdo. But having that lack of somebody that you feel like knows you fully or as much as you can know another person and also loves that part. Like Mm -hmm. When you don't have the ability to show somebody who you fully are and are expecting that if I don't hide this part of myself from them, then they're not going to like me. Even if 
you are happy most of the time, that creates a vacuum inside yourself. Like there are parts of you that you can't fill up by yourself and it, it feels lonely. It feels, it, even when you are well loved by other people, you can still feel lonely if you feel like that love is somehow conditional on not knowing everything about you. Well, well, I mean, it's the definition of shame, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. you know, there's something about me that makes me unworthy of human connection. And yes. yeah. for Colin, that yeah. thing is potentially, hey, I'm gay. Right? So. Yeah. And I feel like even the most well-adjusted among us, uh, you know, you probably have experienced something at some point that gives you a little bit of shame. So, I mean, putting this as an ache is so much... It, it's so much better than saying I was ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Yes. It's not that I feel like I yes. shouldn't be loved. It's that I am scared that if I do tell you who I am, I'm not going to be loved. So, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's also why these, you know, our conversations around these episodes, but also why these episodes, you know, inspire the kinds of conversations we are having and have had. I mean, yeah, you could have... You could you don't have to have this scene. And even for me who right. has said like good lord like I love I love Ted Lasso but that's a lot. 51 minutes of Ted Lasso intensity is a lot of minutes of Ted Lasso intensity. It just it, it just is. I I'm I'm happy. I love it, but it's a lot. Um and you could cut this scene and still have yeah. your show. Yeah. I don't want to watch that show. Yeah. No, that's the difference between this show and other shows. Is yeah. that this show gets into, I mean, I think even the lines after that, when he says he has an ache, an ache for both of my lives to be only one life so that mm-hmm. he doesn't need to hide mm-hmm. his sexuality from his team. He doesn't need to hide uh, his partners from his public life. And what he says right after that is that uh, I don't want to be a spokesperson. I don't want a bunch of apologies. All I want is for when we win a match to be able to kiss my fellow the same way that guys get to kiss their girls. <sighs> yeah. 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 Like there seems to be it, the political side of this is so important because people deserve to have the same number of rights as anybody else, right. regardless of right. gender identity or whatever else. But there's also this part where like, I just want to be able to get, like have my life in the open to not feel like I need to hide things from people to not feel like I should be ashamed for these things. Uh, And I understand the pressure that a premier league footballer would feel that he might need to become a spokesperson, Mm -hmm. even if he's not equipped for that, but Mm -hmm. he, he, he just doesn't want to have to pretend anymore. And, and I, and I think there's something powerful these are the things that people reference that make me crazy. Like right now, for those of you who aren't in the United States, uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Ron DeSantis, and he's a governor Jesus. of Florida, one of our states. And and he's been doing a lot of transphobic or anti-trans, uh, however you want to mm-hmm. phrase it, stuff. And one of the things... All right, buddy, hold on. Sorry. this Biggie is pretty pissed about the DeSantis thing. You'll notice he... <laughs> He, he he really got riled up once I said that name. But no, don't but say that name anymore. Is you know, uh, but part well, two things. One is oh, the progress that 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 coach spoke to. I think gives us Desantis on some degree because 
everybody who knows how a pendulum swings, they yeah. these ba- the backlash is evidence of the progress, which is hard to accept and feel good about, but I think it's true. But the other piece is like they having this like don't say gay law where people can't you know you can't discuss these things with children of a certain age. That age seems to be creeping up very quickly. But I laugh because there's no way if I went and started teaching in uh, Florida that they'd be like, Mr. Bishop, are you married? And I said yes to a woman named Daphne that I would get in trouble. Right. Yeah. Like there's a built in like I I was laughing one person one day. I said this sentence makes sense in the United States. Ready? Okay, boys and girls, it's not good to talk about gender. I'm like, what the fuck are we at? Like, has everybody completely lost their goddamn minds? Like that. Yeah. We talk about gender all the time. Yeah. That's, that's where we're at. So at any rate, that, that, that be that. Thank you both for picking up and running with that. I don't think I would have been able to, um, uh, really hits me in a place. I can't even, uh, express. It's not, just I grew up in the theater. I was with a lot of people who were, uh, f- you know, friends over the years. I didn't know they were gay. I didn't know they were just creative and theatery. <laughs> they were, they were, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's a place of refuge for for so many people who felt out like outsiders. And it, so, you know, it turns out the theater's a, a place, you know, one of the few places where when you're a little kid and you don't exactly know what's going on with you, that uh, you can find some refuge or solace. And so it ended up for me just being around a lot of people that uh, ha- had to suffer with aches like this. Um, we, we all have aches. Like you said, it's just so, I find it barbaric that people have to hide certain aches and other people don't. And um, life is so hard as it is. Let's say you're someone who was gr- gifted without any aches uh, it's already difficult. It's a pain in the ass. It's it's hard to get through the day. But then when you have these types of things, it's so difficult to to manage. And I found this scene remarkable and beautiful. And uh, I, I know we can't fix every ache inside of us, but I shouldn't have to pretend it's not there either. And I, I was like tears uh, going down my face when I when I lit every time. I haven't been able to keep a dry eye on this scene because for me this is every bit as beautiful as the TED speech. We're predisposed mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. the TED speech as empowering and like you know it's like a sort of uh, oh this is the uh, this is like the big speech at the end and you know he's he's a white man uh, you know uh, heterosexual white man so it's easier to ah this is the right but this speech is every bit as beautiful. Um, and powerful and important. Um, I can't even. Ah, boss, can you read this front line here? Yeah, of course. Uh, systemic pervasive oppression means that LGBTQ people are at higher risk of mental health conditions, suicidality, intimate partner violence, and police violence. Yeah, and it's got it's got to stop. It has to stop at some point. We have to be better. Um, I know all you can do is try to figure out in your own house. And it's been so interesting for me as a parent to decide how to build an environment in my family where your sexuality, whatever my kids are feeling, I've always tried to say, listen, Gen Z is phenomenal because they have more of a range than other past generations. They're just a beautiful, imaginative uh generation and um 
you know, I remember talking to my daughter about this stuff and I'm like, listen, don't try to label it. I don't know why we were so obsessed with labels, but if you, if you notice something go inside of you, a little flutter, ooh, right? And it, it may be man, it may be, it doesn't matter. Just mark it and your brain may go, okay, I kind of dig this. And it doesn't matter. I said, in my experience, it's always been a range, uh, whether we've wanted to admit it or not. And uh, society will clamp down because, again, society wants binary answers, the simplest possible answer to complicated solutions. And so, God forbid, you might find something attractive that's not prescribed by society. So it's really fascinating to see the power of this up-and-coming generation, how advanced they are on this topic, and how how pissed off, righteously indignant they are about ogres that want to keep us in the past and don't understand the human quotient and the human value of what a toll this takes on people. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very hopeful about the future uh, with younger people taking the lead. I, I will say um, with very much younger people, I was watching um, a friend's two kids and I brought them over to my sister's place. My sister's friend, she's my friend. We all know each other. I had two kids, a boy and a girl that I was watching. And my sister has two daughters. And they were playing with the all the different Disney gowns that my nieces have, putting them on and getting dressed up. And one of the girls said, yeah, let's play princesses. And then the little boy said, I want to put on a dress. And she said, oh, okay, let's play dress up then. And I thought, like, it didn't need you. We didn't need to change it. It could be that he plays princesses too. It could be like that would be fine. That would be okay. But she, what she wanted to make sure to acknowledge was, we don't need it to be princesses. We could all put on princess dresses and it'll be fine. And I'm not saying that, you know, as a six year old, she was understanding the entirety of uh, human gender identity and sexual fluidity and everything else. But I think that it is a thing that doesn't actually matter to most people. And we teach them to have that hatred in order to better control them. It's so interesting because as you said it, I was like, no, it's that we un-understand it. Yes. Yep. The truth of the matter is we're a bunch of people in a room who want to enjoy each other's company. And to include someone, we're just going to like include them. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she didn't need to read any studies. She didn't no. need to go to the DSM-5. Like, she just was like, yeah. all right, you want to like, play too? Here's how we can make the game fit you. Yeah. Uh, except on the off chance that you would f- that princesses doesn't apply to you, we'll change the game. That'll be fine. I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for... I think there's a lot to be said for that. I also think... There's, there's this sort of built-in thing, especially around homosexuality and uh, cishet men, where there does seem to be, and it even has been used as a defense for like violent episodes of this like panic, right? Like, oh, but what? And I think if you can never ask yourself the question, because I remember being in college at one point and people talking about it, and I was like, do I want to kiss a dude? And then I was like, Nah, I don't. Like, and it wasn't like, nah, man, I don't work. I was like, I really yeah. took a moment to just really ask myself, like, all right, there's all this noise. Let me just ask the question. And I think if more people could ask the question in that sort of way, they, I think it'd be easier for them to be convinced that they're not in danger. 
Yeah. Yep, exactly. That it somehow is a threat to their individual personality if they have to question it. Therefore, there shouldn't be anything in the world that would ever make me question it. Yeah. I mean, but what's the problem? Yeah. I don't. I just don't get. I used to work. I used to wait tables, and there were a lot of. I used to work at these fancy restaurants because the tips were so good, and there were career waiters who were these absolute queens, and they were the best. And they would go. <laughs> I was seventeen yeah. or eighteen at the time, and they would be like, "Oh, honey, if you ever decide, like, just give me one." Sh-. And I was flattered. I was like, "Thank you. That is yeah. that is so thought." I mean, like, whatever. But they were. What they were wonderful, and I'm like, why would you ever? What would you have against these people? They're one. They're the best. They're hysterical but and difference. kind and funny and loving and nurturing and you know even being hit on. I was I didn't feel gross. I was like, yeah, I get that's great. Like, I don't know what's what's the but, problem. But I don't but, get it. but I I think for the for those who find difference itself scary, right? Like, yeah, you, you, you're you're saying that, and and I'm with you. But we're also living in a world where Rupert had a car towed. Like, we laugh about it in the context of the show. But Rupert, like, it is so, it's not just unfathomable. It is unacceptable that anyone who deserves to park in this parking lot would drive this car. That we have to fix yeah. this. So yeah. that's how far people are into like, we don't want difference. We don't want outside the lines. We want the same thing all the time. I always laugh about gender because we know the binary is not true. Like, it's just biologically not true. We're not to the sociopolitical conversation yet. It's just not true. And to me, it's like people who are insisting boron. No, there are four elements. Fire, water, and I'm like, oh my god! Like, <laughs> we're allowed to learn more. You yeah, know, Tad goes in, Tad goes yeah. in, Tad goes out. No one can, no Tad one can understand in, it. No one, no, no can't yep, explain. Can't explain it. Yep. Bill O'Reilly, a piece well, of shit. I mean, sorry, I shouldn't. I'm getting really <laughs> fired up. I've never said something like. I try to be very no. positive. Sorry, and maybe. Oh god, that that's no, yeah, I like that's, it. That's, that's nah. Be honest. I mean, I don't want to get too far into my uh, social ju- social justice rant, but I like that you brought up Rupert and Rupert towing that car because it wasn't just a difference. It was a difference that he needs to have power over. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's one of the biggest things that we are so hierarchical mm-hmm. that if there is a difference, that difference could be a threat because that difference could mean that you're better than me. So I need to be better than you. And then we mm-hmm. also end up punishing people for having differences that we decide might be a threat to us because we're assholes. Yeah, God forbid people sleeping with people who they're attracted to. Will the, will the horrors never cease? Oh. People being in love? Come on. Can you imagine oh, anything God. worse in the yes. world? People should be in love with who we say they should be in love with. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Um, anyway, be- a beautiful show that is is showing the truth about certain things and listen the critics could say oh this is sterilized and isn't it just nice that uh oh you know everything works out perfectly yeah things don't work out always wrapped up neatly like this uh but i found it beautiful and i found it moving um and i think the show has keeps trying to completely uh open people's minds i'll give you one quote that is related to this in a different way. Phoebe says t- to Roy, can you come in for one game of Princess and Dragon? And what does Roy say? Can I be the dragon this time? Yeah, that was yep. great. Yep. That's 
phenomenal. Right? She says I no. La- yeah, she says I no, and Roy says fine, but you, no. you better have fixed the one. <laughs> you know how much you know much Princess and Dragon we've played that that entire negotiation can go on. Like we've played a lot of Princess and Dragon that we you know we we have that conversation to have before we get started. I it, I wanted to toss in. <sighs> To say, I don't think it's fair. I get, I get the criticism. And although I tend to be the defender of all things Ted Lasso, I mean, nothing's perfect and okay. But I don't think it's fair to say everything just works out. And I would say that it's a lot closer to Mr. Gazelig's take. You know, it's not that it, it's not that it's great that they got relegated, but they got relegated and they made the most of it. It's not great that uh, Rebecca's father died, but it was an opportunity for them to have, you know, this amazing uh, healing, at least piece of healing. And, and you know, anyway, I have a whole other set of things with, with, with that one. But I actually think we are doing the thing that Gazellig has said. Like, this is where we are. My wife, <laughs> my wife wants as much distance from me. Like if I could go work on the moon, she would vote for that. So I'm headed now. Here I am running a Premier League team. I'm going to make the most of that. So I actually think the show isn't quite as. I don't think the, the show is quite as gentle on the characters as that would uh, as that assessment would suggest. Yeah, coach. Um, uh, yeah, well, I think I think what they're yeah, it's um, well, you know what? We don't have to address it. Doesn't matter. I love your I love your input. Colin says, uh, "How'd you know about me?" Like, yeah, she just wants how'd I get busted out of curiosity. Trent says, "Well, I use my Holmesian powers of journalistic deduction." And there's a beat, and he's like, "Yeah, I saw you kissing a guy outside Sam's restaurant." <laughs> Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. That's a, that'll be a real yeah. tip off at that point uh, about the the whole uh, gayness with the dude kissing. Um, I thought that was great. It was a nice little button. We needed it. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it, this show is very very skilled at uh, sort of commandeering you down the heavy duty place and then bringing you back with a little light humor. Um, it felt like that to me here. Uh, Colin laughs. Uh, those are the bells of the Westerkirk. And Frank heard those same bells every night as if, like, talk about heavy topics. She lived just there. Uh, Colin says, Oh, right, right by this big pink triangle. Uh, to which Trent says, I think that came a bit later. And that, which is funny because Colin was the one, Colin says, Oh, yeah. Uh... And- and he was the one that said, I didn't come to Amsterdam to learn things. Sorry, Trent. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah. I didn't I didn't I didn't connect those dots. That's awesome. I, I would say too, and <laughs> this is really taking us down a political path, but I would say that the same human instinct that led to that pink triangle is the same human instinct that led to Anne Frank being in hiding there. And and I yes. and I think that's I think that's worth looking at because we tend whatever is the thing now we tend to think of as like a big conversation or controversial and I'm like none of it's controversial we we shouldn't be treating each other like this period and we can make all the excuses we want over time we just should not be doing it 
Yes, absolutely. And I, I like that you said that we keep having the same conversation. Uh, so I'm not sure if I've mentioned on the show before, but I have a certain fondness for Jewish people in general. The neighborhood I grew up in when I was very, very little was like half Jewish and half Irish. And so I have an affection for all of the families and the people involved nice. in that. Uh, yeah, God's chosen people are mine also. I, I, I'm a big, big fan. <laughs> and so the from the Holocaust, you know, this idea of never again. Never again isn't we're never going to have a Holocaust where we kill Jewish people again. We won't. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that should be the goal. But it should also be never again do we allow a genocide to – we shouldn't allow a genocide. We shouldn't allow a genocide. Right. Never again is not just we are going to change how we treat Jewish people. It's – I. We should recognize how human nature is and not allow atrocities to happen, which means Colin gets to fucking kiss his boyfriend if he feels like it, because there isn't any good goddamn reason to prevent it. Yes. <sighs> yeah. No, that's true, boss. I'm with you. I know you made me you saying that. I, I think about like the all the stuff uh, about even countries admitting to genocides that happened hundred years ago and not, and not taking ownership for it. I think about the Uyghurs in uh, China, everything going on there. And um, it, it can be so much sometimes that you can't see, can't even imagine the light at the end of the tunnel. And you wonder how, how the hell did we get here? Um, but shows like this at least can give us a glimpse of some of that beauty and these human moments that we can identify with if you're willing to be open-minded and identify with it. And sometimes people are, and sometimes people aren't, depending on where they are in their lives. Um, but I'm glad that we uh, got to this point together. And uh, I, I wish I were ending on a happier note. I always try to leave leave us <laughs> upbeat. But really, this one, this one takes a lot out of me. And um, uh, just hope that the listeners understand um, it's, it's just heavy-duty stuff. And... Um, you know, we thank you for being part of it. Coach, where do people find you if they want to find you? Uh, online community for Align Performance, the coaching practice is at wealign.alignp.com. That's wealign.community. And uh, on Instagram, you can find me at, at bk2la. Uh, you can find the company at, at alignp. Uh, the company is same on TikTok. And uh, basically, I'm out here just trying to have these conversations, folks. So if you want to you want to pick up this chat or one of these topics, hit me up and let's do it. Boss, where do people find you? Um, uh, On Twitter at Dumbly Chambers, where I'm hopefully uh, spreading more light than darkness, but also blocking as many blue check marks as I possibly can at this point. Um, And also writing for the antagonist. Uh, at antagonistblog.com. A little bit of light there in the form of um, Pablo Schreiber characters who like to have sex. That's an interesting thing for you. I did write a post on it. All right. So that's it for today. We are done with Ted Lasso Season 3, Episode 6, Sunflowers. This is Part 3. I I do not know how many parts this is going to take to get through. I I suspect just the... Ted's vision quest uh, shroom trip is going to take. Co- We're just going to listen to Coach talk about coaching and formation. Yeah, no, no. I, 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 I'm thinking spinoff is probably the most appropriate. I, I like. I can. I was going crazy. 
<laughs> on the first viewing, I like was losing it in my room. But anyway, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. With the length of these episodes and the um, amount of time we have between them, we also ask for you guys to extend us a little grace because the 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 likelihood of keeping up with the pace in in light of the episode length. Uh, is a little daunting. So we're going to do our best to stay with it as long as we can. Um, and when we inevitably fall short and, and we have to sort of um, be behind a little bit, we hope that everyone will stick with us and understand um, we're trying to have that work-life balance. So um, everybody, pre- okay, okay, okay. Right to Biggie. I heard that. You just whispered that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um uh, until until next time, please uh, protect your local libraries and and respect the written word. Support your independent blogs, pajaba.com and antagonistblog.com. And um, until we come back with part four, we are Richmond till we die. Die. That's come on, Coach. We tried. I tried to be nice. I was like, "This is a rough episode for Coach." I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw in anything new on this one. That was your best effort, right there. That was. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I appreciate that, Coach. Um, We'll see everybody next time. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.